Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Internet, we ready to talk about The Last of Us Part 2? Because you are listening to Waypoint Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Kato is your producer, and today we are going to discuss and despoil Naughty Dog's long-awaited and widely acclaimed sequel to 2013's grim odyssey through a zombie apocalypse nothing is off limits except discourtesy so if you're still trying to remain unspoiled on this game you probably want to skip this yeah that's for you maddie you be careful okay i will (laughs) i will call the manager if okay. I hear is this something my introduction? I do not like. Is this how I'm uh, <laughs> as, as Maddie Discourteous Myers, I think that's fair, and uh, I accept the call out, Rob. Thank you. Uh, but anyway, if you are trying to remain unspoiled, you probably want to skip this one. Uh, just go straight to the part where you rate and review us. <laughs> Twitter's already ruined for you for you at this choice. point. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're, <laughs> come on, you're supposed to play a 35-hour game in the first week. That's just that's just how it works. We're mm-hmm. like a, it's like a month into this. You oh, had yeah. time, and time you know, I know we're we're fine. I'm just saying, timeless. The the internet ripped that bandaid off extremely quickly. <laughs> they sh- they certainly did. Uh, here for today's discussion, and the reason for its lengthy delay, uh, just like he delayed me getting through this intro, we have Patrick Klepek. Hi. Um, <laughs> yep. Sorry. Uh, you know, uh, after a long day with two children, living through a pandemic, what I want to do is just suffer a little bit more. At a two and a half hours uh, a pace with a beer, and that just unfortunately took me. <laughs> well, look, if I could have just edited this game, you know, we'll get there. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm with you, Patrick. Uh, Can we editors, just like paste, just somehow paste the discussion that Rob and I had as I played played through this game. Anyway, uh, we're also joined by Motherboards, Emmanuel Myberg. Hey, hello. Uh, can I just say I've consumed so much Naughty Dog. In the past few weeks. Gross. I've done, uh, I played the the remake, the, the Last of Us remaster, and then I played Left Behind. Wait, like all of it? All of it. All of it. Wow. And then I Had played, you not played it before or you just wanted to refresh your course? I wanted a, a, a refresh. And then Oof. I played The Last of Us 2, and then I played Uncharted 4, and now I'm replaying <laughs> The Last of Us 2. Whoa. Okay, Wait. <laughs> <laughs> so people who are listening to this may not know that Emmanuel is one of our more, more prolific editors and like parts of the team. Uh, I fully expect half your time is going into begging accounts payable to pay people. Uh, you're editing tons of stuff. So my question is, how the fuck? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I suspect my my wife is somewhat mad at me, but which is probably a result is this of this. depressed all the time. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> what was my dog? Speaking of depressed dogs, <laughs> uh, Mina, come here and gnaw on the stick some more. Anyway, uh, so I think Maddie and I have had parts of this conversation uh, 
you know, and our negative views of this game are pretty well known at this point. <laughs> uh, but Patrick and Emmanuel, how did you end up feeling about The Last of Us Part Two? What was your emotional arc uh, with this game before we get into the blow by blow? I, so, uh, to some degree, I like separating out the game into different elements. Like, I loved the combat. I, like, even though I thought the game itself became uh, deeply repetitive, especially in the, the Ellie arc, um, in terms of, like, why you were sudden, like, constantly, like, forced into combat, I I liked the, com- I cannot stand shooting in Uncharted. Like, the game's doing absolutely nothing. It feels like, like a like a wavy tube man, in, like you know, from in front of a uh, like a used sales lot is like that's what it feels like to shoot and run around in Uncharted. But I found Last of Us to be like the the stealth to be really satisfying um, because the stealth and the action seem to to go together really well. And I found in general that to also be the case in um, the Last of Us Part Two, where uh, I actually find like the actual shooting mechanics to be like really sound, really satisfying, and especially in the second act when you got a different set of tools, like I, I re- was really getting into the combat and actually like that allowed me to like, uh, mm, like numb myself to the parts of the story that like weren't doing anything for me. It was like, fine, cool. Like let's just go through this really scary hospital and this really scary hotel. Cause this is like the most satisfying part of the game that I'm getting. And I could just do 12 hours of this and just, we don't have to have any characters. We could just be in these <laughs> sequences um, and it'd be fine. Um, so I don't like, it's, it's like an entirely forgettable, like there's, here's a question. If this was not a video game, would we be thinking about it that much? Is it because it's if a it video game? If it were an game, HBO show, for example. But I just, but like, there's like, just in general, like this story, like so many words, this podcast is going to go on for so long to dissect it. And it's important. Like it, it is a, it is an enormous cultural object. Um, but the more like I like, gave it thought, I was like reading essays and watching videos last night. I was like, "Is it really all worth it for this game, this story?" And and I and I I, I don't know. I liked it, but I will forget about it next week. Is where I came out on it. Whereas I've thought about the original quite a bit since. Um, I guess is like the the long and the short of where it ended on the, the last was part two. How about you, Manuel? Uh. I was uh, sort of exactly with you up until the end there. And that's just because like, um, I don't know. I just, I can't separate the the story from the fact that it's a game. So I kind of uh, resist like going that direction. Uh, but yeah, I, Rob, I uh, edited both of your pieces about The Last of Us 2. And I agree with every word uh and both of those pieces and at the same time i just really enjoyed playing the game uh like patrick said i really uh uh like the combat and i would also say that I, there are many things about the story that i appreciated and like the structure of the game in general that i really liked and i was also burned by the ending but for me the the fact that the ending uh, kind of burned me and retroactively does some things that I think are uh, uh, really weak doesn't like negate the, the the moments that like I really appreciated along the way. Yeah, I think to the question of uh, is this game worth this level of attention? I think part of that is 100% driven by just the 
media ecosystem we all inhabit. Uh, and the but why precious- this game specifically? Like, there's nothing what else, is it- man. I think that's the other reason. Like, this <laughs> mm. is what we've got right now, and it speaks. And well, in my opinion, it doesn't speak to the time that we're in, but it so doesn't speak to it that it's fascinating to me, at least. Like, even though I think it fails at what it's trying to do, and I've said that in many places, so I'm sure it's not shocking the listener that I feel that way. It. The fact that it almost speaks to the time period that we're in right now, and it's one of the big tentpole pieces of art that we as games critics have to look at at this time when there is nothing going on. Like, we can't leave our homes, and so you you have this. You have media. Um, I think that's creating a situation that is perhaps deserved. I mean, that's what Naughty Dog wanted this game to be, was a tentpole that everybody talked about. They couldn't have possibly predicted the circumstances of it, but... You could argue it's benefiting them in some ways. And a tentpole yeah. and, and a, like, I think the way they pitched it, and a lot of this is based on how the first game was received, but it's like kind of a pinnacle of the form in some way. And like, we can discuss whether we agree with that well, they, at all. Their but, form, <laughs> like their interpretation right. of the form, for sure. Yeah, but I think, they, they, I think maybe I'm off, but I think it's like Naughty Dog after uh, The Last of Us has sort of presented itself as like the vanguard of like you know look at what uh big budget video games can do and they're they they can be so much more than i don't know halo or whatever um i think that's kind of the part of the pitch of the game yeah i definitely think there's an element of uh like naughty dog is doing the interactive movie thing, uh, but in a very different way than like David Cage's and it's more successful at being a video game. Uh, and also the, these games generally have better writing, but I actually think that leads us to where the last of us part two opens, uh, which is in the immediate aftermath of the end of the last of us one as Joel, both for the audience who maybe didn't finish, uh, the last of us one, but also for, uh, you know, anyone who's just, hopping aboard or doesn't remember, uh, you know, all the details of what he did at the end. He's sort of unpacking for his brother, Tommy, uh, how the first game ended and how he took uh, his sort of surrogate daughter, uh, Ellie, across country to this Firefly Research Lab to see why she, seemingly alone among all of humanity, is immune to the cordyceps uh parasite uh that infection that is has turned most of humanity into uh zombies and once she's there uh joel realizes that the plan is to vivisect her on the table uh basically to get at that 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 good cure juice uh that's (laughs) lodged deep within her uh within her brain um, and so to save humanity, Ellie necessarily has to die, and there's no time to discuss this. We have to do this right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And Joel flips out and shoots his way through the Firefly uh, Research Lab, kills the kills everyone who's part of the leadership team and the medical team who was charged with like discovering this cure, takes Ellie out, and tells her that. They had lots of viable test subjects. They didn't need her. And the end of the first game was famously ambivalent. 
about whether or not Ellie really believed him, whether their relationship at the end of that game was what it had been just before she went under the knife uh, with the Fireflies. The opening of this game is the last time we're going to play as Joel uh, after he tells this story, and then we see him catch up with uh, with Ellie. And I'm curious uh, for y'all, did you feel like this relationship picked up from the right place? Do you think it, it started off on the right note from where the first game ended? Or does it feel like they're retconning anything with where Ellie and Joel are at? I feel like it is a very strange place to pick up, but only because I've played the entire game. At the time, when I was first playing it, I thought it made sense and that their awkward relationship would be later explained as a tension that could never be resolved between them. I wasn't sure when I was first playing the game, of course, as to whether Ellie knew what had happened at the hospital or not, or if it had just become this conversation that the two of them could never have. I had imagined it the, the latter, that it just wasn't a conversation they'd ever had and that she didn't really know and that Joel's death and that the next couple scenes would be the thing that she was haunted by because she had all of these unresolved feelings about Joel. And I thought that was sort of unnecessarily simple in, in my view, but at least interesting as a character arc for her that I was willing to come along with. But as you play the game, as we all know, it it, it takes place out of order. So we see all of these, these Ellie and Joel scenes uh, over the course of the game. And I, I don't know, I'm sure some, some smart YouTuber will put them all in order at some point. And then <laughs> it'll be, it'll be interesting to see that, I think, to see them in the correct order, because once you imagine them in the correct order, Ellie's actions make a lot less sense to me. And Rob, you articulated that pretty well in, in the story that you that you wrote at Vice. But I, I'm really curious to hear if I'm the only person who felt that way, because Emmanuel, clearly you enjoyed the game significantly more than I did. So perhaps you felt as though the arc between Ellie and Joel made a lot more emotional sense to you. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the problem with discussing this is that uh, the structure of the story is that there's just like a big dump of information at the very end of the game that um, Ellie had, but you didn't. Yeah. And therefore, like, completely uh, changes how you feel about what's motivating her. So I think up until that moment, um, yeah, I felt I felt like you, like you did, where it's like we like the relationship is vague and that's interesting. Um, but, but then at the very end of the game, we found out that Ellie knows everything and the relationship is completely resolved. So there yeah. is no, there is no, uh, there is no complicated feeling. Everything has already been sorted out more or less. Um, and that, and that makes everything that happened before, uh, just, uh, I don't know, kind of simple. And I think as Rob said, kind of stupid, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, we, we're on this, uh, on this journey of, of revenge like this very demanding unnecessary cruel journey and you know we don't know what it's about when while it's happening 
And when we do find out, it's not like we get a good reason. I just kind of step back and wonder, it's like, oh, this was really unnecessary and bad is, is, is the, the, the feeling I had once, once I did get that information. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and yeah, what, what, and that, that's what burned me about the, the ending, you know? Yeah, and, for, and for me, I, I agree. Um, and the thing that like burned me continually across the game, especially once you had all the information and you'd finish it, was I think for a game that is as long as it is, for as as much like quote unquote story and plot that there is, like it never, like Ellie never reflects, never takes, never talks about what she's going through. There is never, um, you know, I think a lot of the great essays I've read about this is people's like personal trauma and watching that trauma displayed in the game and the game's depiction of what it is like to go through trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all have, you know, our own, our own trauma, like from, you know, um, often revenge stories are used as a metaphor for like individual loss that people have. And revenge is like, Oh, what if you could be a character that could like somehow get revenge for this trauma that happened in your life? Because most things that happen in your life, you actually can't do that much about. And so right. I couldn't help but like view the loss of Joel as like, yeah, like when I suddenly lost my father to a heart attack eight years ago, it's like, yeah, like I was angry and I was mad. Um, I can't imagine like through the eight years since has been like processing that in some way and nowhere in the game does Ellie do any sort of processing reflection despite having meaningful relationships with the kinds of people where you think you would have that. And like that's like the the thing I never quite got over with, with her arc was it was the way that trauma and her trauma is expressed in this game and where, especially because how the end of the game you know, the thing we're irritated with, um, there was a place where, like, that should have been explored to some degree, and I think would have helped better explain or justify or at least, like, give something to her arc that I I just don't think was there at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think the... So the thing that frustrates me is I think the very opening kind of does pick it up in the right place. And I think the rest of what we're shown about how the relationship evolves ends up undercutting the good work that was set up by the end of The Last of Us and the awkwardness of this opening scene. The opening scene is Joel bringing this guitar that he's restoring uh, while he's talking to Tommy. He brings this guitar to Ellie. And they already have that same strained note in their relationship that existed at the end of the first game. Where, like... Yes she isn't totally happy he's there. Like he comes in, she's doing homework uh, in a room or or she's writing in her journal and she kind of doesn't want to talk and she doesn't want to deal with his weird neediness. And it's palpable the degree to which he is showing up uh, to play act being her dad. Mm-hmm. And the end, like where she that is at song. Yeah. That I, song. I was the so song struck is so by good. how awkward that moment was when he's playing her the song, which I thought was very effective. Like, yes, I let me just say, I love the first three hours of this game. Like they hit so many great notes, which is part of why I'm so sad about the next 25 hours that we'll get to. <laughs> but like the first three hours, I was so on board. I felt like Ellie was the woman I remembered or had become a woman based on the girl I remembered and that palpable sense of like your dad is trying to relate to you and you can't deal with it felt so rich and what real if not? to me in that <laughs> moment where like her facial expressions, like all of it worked so well for me. He wrote a worse song than I just called to say I love you to terrible, play terrible to song. her. Like the fact that it's a terrible song is actually great. I'm not it's all about him. that at all. It's all I about love him. that it's bad. I love it. Yeah. He's like, the entire song is 
if I ever lost you or something like that. If I'd I ever lose, lose you, I'd surely lose myself. I think it's yeah. worth noting that that's the lyric because that is what this game is about. Well, is then, yeah, then she sings self-absorption that song. of that song. It just carries through. I mean, if there's a theme, it's not the cycle of violence. It is that sense of self-absorption in that expressed in that very, very awkward dad song. But the weird thing is, so that scene works, and then later, the rest of the game is going to pretend, oh, their relationship was nowhere near that awkward. And I'm like, it should have been. Like, (laughs) their song that they sang together that she learned and, and sings later is about how the other person is the repository for all the things they project Mm-hmm. Uh, because they have these these gaps in inside them. Uh, pr- predominantly, it's Joel's perspective, but the game kind of retcons and decides that Ellie's also in the same place as Joel, which I don't think totally follows. Uh, yeah. But we go from that opening to day in the life of Ellie. Uh, it is the morning after the dance. Uh, She's awakened by her pal, Jesse, saying they got to go out on patrol. Uh, But it's all very business as usual. The only thing that's notable is that uh, apparently during the dance, things got sloppy on a Mm -hmm. number of fronts. Uh, Ellie got into it with Joel. But also, and again, all the performances in this are so good. There's so many good beats. The part where Ellie blurts out that she made out with Dina at the dance <laughs> uh, to Jesse. And yeah. he was like, I was talking about your fight a with different thing. Seth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was like, you made out with my girlfriend? Yeah. Well, ex-girlfriend ex. as of a week. And that <laughs> short time difference is going to matter later. <laughs> yeah. Um I think there's a lot to be said about Jackson uh, as a setting, but I think we will tie it into some other places that we we discuss in in this game. Uh, just just to say, like Jackson is clearly now. Remember in the first game, Tommy and his wife had joined the sort of survivalist camp in the shadow of this like hydroelectric dam. Now that hydroelectric dam is powering what amounts to a you know turn of the century. Uh, you know, city in the Great Plains. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's pretty idyllic there. Uh, You know, there's there's lots of uh, cozy looking homes and businesses and just a good civic life. Um, And so this is they've sort of this is their Eden. Uh, They've sort of arrived in and defending that Eden requires high walls and keeping them zombies out and watching for zombies in the area. And so we end up with uh, Ellie heading out on patrol with Dina and then Abby's introduced, but let's, let's stick with Ellie and Dina uh, for a second here Um, because I think their meeting in Jackson and then the first part of their patrol, I think is a, a, is where most of their relationship building is done uh, the other half of it's probably done in Seattle, but yeah. How did, what, what did we all make of the introduction of where Ellie is at? Like who Dina is, uh, what the, how their rapport is. I mean, I dug it. Are you guys not going to talk? I can dominate the show. I don't, mind, but I know that you two liked the game more than I did. So, you know, No, I mean, I think this is like the, mo- like I mean, these, are the, these are the moments of the game where, um, you know, I was starting to play the game 
after I'd already heard some of the vibe I was getting from other people who was further along. And I was like, mm-hmm. shit, did we play different games? Like, <laughs> yeah. am I going to be that one? Right. Like, that's okay. That's fine. Like, you don't want to be in the consensus yeah. all the time. Like, you know, you want to be Alex Navarro. You want to be out there every <laughs> once in a while. And yeah. um, sometimes I'm like, damn, I was like, I'm really buying this relationship. Like, these mm-hmm. cuties need to get together. And like... My heart is singing. And like, it's adorable. That, all, that's, all that stuff was working. Like, And the actress who plays Dina, you should go look up her Instagram. She is wonderful and like mm-hmm. just as joyous as like, um, like there's a real extension of like her, her own personality into this character and watching her react to people react to the game is, uh, has been really good. Um, no, I, I bought all that stuff. And like, I think that's like those moments working as well as they do, I think also other than the moment that we're in, other than like this being like a piece of art that people can a lot of can project a lot onto, um, there is so much squandered promise, like yes. specifically with their relationship and like and, and where it goes later, that I, it only makes all the other stuff so much more frustrating because I think you you can see this is a game where so many times and these sequences early with Dina and and Ellie. You just you could see a different game, a different story. Like there's a million there's there's this sequel doesn't justify itself very well writ large, I don't think. It doesn't need to exist. I don't come at the end of it going like, I've learned a lot about this world or its people or or even Ellie as as a character or even just their arc teaching me something. I just feels wholly unnecessary in a game that we won't talk much about five years from now. Um and part of that is because I think these early moments work as well as they do, and then it just doesn't, you know, go anywhere. You know, Dina gets completely fucking sidelined as a character once yes. we get to Seattle anyway. Um, like, the game becomes uninterested <laughs> with her once it wants to return to the uh, the, the dry revenge uh, plot. Um, but, no, I, I was I was fully into to both of them. And, um, you know, I mentioned this to, to Rob uh, when we were originally talking about it, and I was early in playing the game. I was like, cool, like, I, we could, could we just – all problems of, like, Jackson and what it represents of this game's, like, conception of society aside, like, let's just, like, hang out here. There's probably, like, plenty of drama we could get into here and, like, just watch <laughs> these two flirt and become a couple. Like, we could – I don't know. Some zombies can raid this place. It's fine. Like, we can figure it out. I mean, I think I think you can actually come up with a lot of conflicts from this first yes. three hours that would work a lot better than the game that they made. And you can even keep a lot of the scaffolding that they come up with, with Abby's storyline and so on. Like, I've rewritten the game a lot in my head. But like, yes, yes. One pitch I have. I'm you, not even a story editor. And I hate being that person that's know, like, well, if I, I was just, to write the story, because like, I can't do that shit. I'm, I'm not, not going to pretend this, But I did but... this with this game. I was constantly telling, like, Rob and I came up with like this much more interesting version of the game at the end where you just get rid of Ellie's arc. You just, act one doesn't happen. And sure. what if you played act two and you were Abby and you still, mm-hmm. you still kill Joel. Yes. But over the course, what if, what if, the mo- so the mo- we're really jumping ahead here, and I'm I sorry, know, Rob. I, I know, know you're doing this. It's- I know you're doing this outlet. I'm wrecking it, but that's <laughs> okay. my job. Um, but what if at the end, when you're Abby and you just in inca- the sniper sequence with Tommy, mm-hmm. which is yes. one of my favorite bits in the whole game, mm-hmm. like I fucking love that sequence. Mm-hmm. And then, but you don't know it's Tommy until that very end. You yeah. just push his ass <laughs> into the water. Uh-huh. What if that's the first encounter you have with that whole clan, other than? A sequence at Jackson where you kill Joel. Maybe maybe Ellie's there. I don't know how we're... Again, I'm, I'm not a story editor. I'm just throwing this out there. Mm-hmm. But then 
that whole game is just reveal is just the sudden realization that fucking Ellie has been hunting you, and you're like, what the shit happened yeah. to that girl? I and just, now she's hunting me this whole game. Yeah, and, and then, then you, you can play her, her for in the second half or yes, I think there's yeah. like a uh, that's like a way more interesting version of the game. I that's think that it still uses a lot here's, of what they have. Here's my stupid idea that probably <laughs> please go. Isn't let's good go because I don't know what I'm doing. But my idea was. You have Ellie still know about the hospital the whole time. You keep all that stuff with Joel. Maybe you don't reveal it. I don't really care. You keep the same overall structure. But then you have Dina and maybe Jesse, maybe Tommy. I feel like it's out of character for Tommy, but it it doesn't really matter. They're the ones who want revenge. And Ellie doesn't. Mm. And so then Mm -hmm. you still play through the game as Ellie. And she keeps trying to find ways to explain to her friends, like, this is actually not right for us. I'm good. But she's (laughs) she's not able to communicate that because of her crushing guilt over the fact that she didn't get to save the world, as well as her resentment towards Joel over the fact that she had no choice in the matter. And she doesn't know what she would have decided, perhaps. And she's agonizing over that. And so then her first half of the game becomes so much more complex and sympathetic as soon as you have her show the regret that I can only assume someone in her position would have. Instead, she's just in sort of blind rage mode, which I think makes sense for like the first few hours after Joel dies, but it doesn't last three days. Like she's gonna hit a point where she's questioning what's going on. And that's part of why- And it's not just, and it's three days for the- for the character's fiction, but it's, right, you know, like right. for a lot of people it's two to three weeks of, of playing. playing. So whatever you want to say, but you know, the game can say it's three days, but it's like, come on. Like the average person is either compressing that into like a re like a long weekend, which is a bat would be a bad way to experience this level <laughs> of violence better, that quickly. Honestly, maybe I, it's, maybe it's better. Um, but, so, but, it's but, like but a whirlwind. Yeah. Yeah. But I think like the average person is experiencing three days over the course of like something closer to a month mm-hmm. at that point then just because you've structured it in a three day uh, uh, setup, like it's it's under it's undercut by the very hour count of the game itself. Right. It's it's right. especially noticeable as an issue because the way the game handles it is that Dina questions Ellie about it and mm-hmm. Ellie's answer is don't worry about it. It's like <laughs> so it's like they bring yeah. it up sort of being aware that the player would wonder, it's like, what are we doing here? It's like, this is a little much. It's like, maybe we should turn around and go home. And Dina seems smart enough to this. Yeah. She would want to raise her finger and go, so Ellie. Yeah. Right now, okay. After and Ellie is like, don't, don't ask me about that. No, we're still doing this. Why? Because I said so. And it's like, that's not a good answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, Ellie's totally like, uh, boy, you know, Joel and Tommy, uh, they were smugglers. And, you know, who can say? Uh, you know, it's uh, so many b- deals went wrong. Uh, lots of people were angry at them. I don't think we'll ever know why this happened. Anyway, uh, we know exactly who did this. Time to hunt them the fuck down and kill them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I will it's... not be taking any further questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think... Dean is an awesome character. I love that introduction. Uh, in a snowball fight, uh, where some kids are teasing, taunting them with some snowballs, <laughs> and I love that she mutters under her breath to Ellie, "I hate these fucking kids." <laughs> and so and Ellie's like, "Yeah, me too." And Dean says, "You want to go fuck them up?" Yeah. And uh, then you just see. Like, there's your uh, conflict. We found it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the rest the of snowball, the game. T- the snowball tournament could have, you know, a lot would have happened. Just relentlessly owning these these rowdy teens <laughs> yeah. just at the camp. Just these tweens who who can't 
who can't be shaken <laughs> off. That would be a great game. I don't know why it's not the game. Uh, so Jesse is sort of like one of the, you know, young leadership cadre of this group of scouts who go out on patrols. So he's mm-hmm. like kind of the high school senior who's like, okay, you can fill in for Joel on his route and you can, you can go solo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ellie and Dina are like, you know, they're, they're JV still partly because maybe Joel is still really protective about what they're allowed to do. Uh, as far, as far as missions go, but they are assigned to go together out on patrol and it is, uh, kind of them getting a chance to discuss what happened the night before and feel out like where they're at with the relationships. Uh, it's all really good. I think the way Dina and Ellie circle around like, okay, what is the actual status of you and Jesse, right? Like mm-hmm. you guys have been an on and off couple for years are you just messing with me here or like, are you guys really quits and you're open to this uh, relationship? And I think it does have a really good, uh, it, it nails that feeling of someone who's very, very, very like vivacious uh, and extroverted and has been through like a number of relationships, getting into a relationship with somebody who's much more introverted and novice at this stuff. Like Ellie's, and doesn't anxiety. feel like she deserves it, right? Like that's like one of the most interesting yeah. arcs to her character that is like just barely, barely explored. But is that idea that like she doesn't believe she deserves to find happiness, which as Maddie pointed out, it was a game more about her internal struggle with yeah. like her role in the world and what she could or could not have done. Mm-hmm. That is like you can see a direct through line through why she has trouble. Like why does this pretty girl right. like yeah. she, well, she could never like me. And there, there is some of that. And it's some of the best character work in, in, in the game. And I think um, that subtlety is what people who enjoy the game more than I did are really picking up on. They're reading into Ellie's actions. Like the text actually doesn't provide that. I mean, right. the acting does, the visuals do. You can, you can read into what you believe Ellie's thinking, even all the way up into the ending. And so I just wish I felt that way about it. <laughs> I don't yeah. feel like the actual text of the game supports this reading of Ellie as like a, actually she's not behaving selfishly. It's, it's just that she believes she doesn't deserve love and she's lashing out. And I, I just don't think the game adequately supports that. I wish it did. You know, I feel you know, like it's, it's almost... <laughs> doing it but it, I just when you don't, don't feel like you deserve love you you go you you find someone uh like nora in a, in a corner and, yeah, you, just and you just bash their face in and, and no you know you, you know you, you might as a player walk away and be like that's cool like i'm just i'm gonna choose to not do this and the game will just sit there and just give you a little square indicator it's like no nah, you need to bash the <laughs> fucking face in there were nora two sequences man. in this game where i put my controller down and i was that like was one of them. This yeah. is your chance to show me I don't have to do this, and the game was like, "Fuck you." Yeah. Well, it uh, also does. It also does that in 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 the combat, and actually, I found that to be like weirdly frustrating that there weren't other. So, like, there are moments where like a character will sort of like give themselves up. Like, yeah. Um, yes. Like they'll they'll get on the ground, they'll put their like hands NPCs up. NPCs will do it. Yeah. 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 Like like the last person in a combat scenario was like, "I'm you know what." Cool. Like I'm just gonna get the fuck out of here and probably get bitten up by some some fun guy. So, um, and I like twice was like, all right, I'm just gonna maybe I can like pickpocket you. Like maybe I can like take your stuff and then, well, I've well I've doomed you at this point. But you know, like, yeah. yeah, you're still alive. Um, and th- nothing. All that happens is you walk away. They get up and like, ha ha, I got you, fucker. And it's like, wait a minute. Well, because I, people what, people are just like that, Patrick. Did you not? But that's the through. That's the through line that, of the or? game. Is it, it cannot conceive that. 
you know, it's the same way the, the oh. religious cult has no depth yeah. to it other than the fact that it's just, a, you know, oh, with the exception we'll of love. But, uh, but the next ugh. plot point that I think serves that message is the fact that when Joel and Tommy help Abby, they are paid back for it with violence. And like the idea that you could have a, a, a human enclave of people who are safe, a sort of utopic enclave. We, we'll get into whether it's actually a utopia later. It's like clearly not. But helping someone else, running into another non-zombie out there in the world and mm-hmm. being like, hey, you want to come back to our place? Like have some of our food, share, etc." You will be paid back for it with violence because don't do it, folks. Yep. You, you got to <laughs> defend your enclave against oncoming humans or oncoming zombies in this game in order to survive, which is a larger structural choice that I again found odd because I feel like people don't always do that and yeah the, not, the game, nihilism isn't justified by like most people's human experience but, i mean some people do there's certainly some people who will react in that way and will be sure. like no i'm going to become increasingly territorial when i'm in an unsafe situation but there are also people who won't react that way and this game just doesn't really show that kind of diversity of human thought as it were and that just was an odd choice to me, and and when when humans do or it try punishes to help each characters other, that choose to like punished. imagine yeah. a different scenario. It's like right, I actually right. fuck you. The world is cruel, yes. and it's the idea of you showing any empathy. Well, you're just going to get fucked, and so you should probably just continue to be cruel and defend right. yourself. Right. While also condemning that at the same time, but I'm like, but you <laughs> don't wag- really give hey, gotta wag your no, you shouldn't do that. Of- but that's just the world, right? But it's yeah. bad. <laughs> no, this, like this this game, like. Everyone in this world pretty much has a happier... The world is better off in this game if anyone who spares a prisoner in this game doesn't do that instead yeah. and just yeah. executes them. And then everything's everything's golden, uh, which is a little fucked up. Uh, but uh, w- one other note I want to throw in here. Uh, actually, there's two notes about the thing with Dina. Uh, first of all, some hints that, yes, there's been some awkwardness with uh, Joel and Ellie, but also Ellie is uh, doing that thing that they're sounding out like, how would this person fit with my life? How would they fit with, like, my family? She's She invites Dina to movie night uh, with her and Joel, which is apparently upcoming. Um, the, other, the other thing that comes up is they discover uh, Dina used to go on patrol with his old timer. Uh, Eugene, is that his name? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they used to go on patrol and they discover that at one of his old haunts, uh, in a really well-realized, uh, public library, (laughs) small town (laughs) library with a really, really detailed children's section, uh, underneath the library in the basement, he had built a temple to weed, Mm -hmm. uh, and was running a pretty serious grow operation. And now it's all desiccated and everything. Uh, And they get into a conversation about, like, where they're actually at with each other. Uh, But one of the things I wanted to get at here is they talk about Eugene and how he was an ex-Firefly. And, like, nobody knew he had this hideout. Nobody knew he had, like, this hideout with, like, some Firefly shit in it, which was the Resistance group from the first game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like... Everyone knew he was like kind of a hardcore uh, fighter, but nobody knew that he had this like secret uh, hiding place uh, for himself. And you find a letter from his family who he left so he could go fight with the Fireflies. My interpretation of that is that Eugene has died of natural causes. He's an older dude, um, so he's dead at the start of this game. But my interpretation was 
Eugene had the secret because he was still in contact with the Firefly grapevine, that it was Eugene who brought Abby to their door, uh, mm. that he is the person who tipped whoever he could, who he was still in touch Don't with. Don't talk shit about Eugene that way. That's not that's not how I wanted to remember Eugene, Rob. But sure, that makes some sense. But I don't like it, so I choose to reject it. It's Eugene was just a cool Eugene was just a cool dude who just, unlike most people, got to live out his life and enjoy his pursuits and then died of natural causes. That seems nice. That's beautiful. Yep. I am, pr- I, but uh, my, gut, my gut feeling says all of that is there. Because Eugene, this is the one thing he didn't share with Dina, who was like his protege, because mm-hmm. he didn't want to tell people, hey, uh, one of the leadership of this commune we've got now, um, I've got a, have a, doomed a, the world. a vendetta. May have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I put the word out and uh, maybe people show up and deal with him. Maybe not. I'm not going to. I'm old. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, have some weed. Actually, he didn't share. Uh, so <laughs> That's right. He hoarded the weed. Yeah. Fuck you, Eugene. Yeah. Yeah. What a bastard. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So the other thing we get in that scene is, uh, you know, we remember from the first game, Abby had the bite scar on her forearm. Right. Now it is. Wait, hold on. I want to back up. I want to back up. I looked up Eugene's Wikipedia page. Okay. Um, Let's go deep on Eugene. So your theory theory is he called in Abby who then and then Abby kills Joel. Or he but, he sent out a message. But to Eugene Fireflies. worked alongside Tommy in the Fireflies. So you're saying he called in to murder Tommy's brother? Yeah. I refuse. I refuse. No. I think no. 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 Tommy would do it himself. No, he wouldn't do that to Tommy. How did Abby get the anyway. word then? Yeah, it's a good no, question. No, How did Abby? Do you think Tommy turns his back on the Fireflies? Right. So someone who was committed to the Fireflies cause. No, everyone. mm, This is a 47 Ronin situation, Kato. (laughs) Nobody turned their back on the Fireflies. (laughs) That's who Abby and her friends are. They are all ex-Fireflies who thrown in. The Fireflies are dead long live the Fireflies, of course. Yeah, yeah. So no, I think Eugene, just like Abby and her friends, is like, oh yeah, I'm done with the Fireflies, totally disillusioned, and is also seething about the reason the Fireflies uh, fell apart. So right, that's, right. No, that's, I was saying that Tommy, that, that's the reason that Eugene would feel like, want to go after Tommy anyways, is because Eugene still is holding that torch for the Fireflies, and feels like Tommy mm-hmm. is Tommy and Joel are partially responsible for their disbanding. Certainly Joel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> d- yeah. Disbanding. Um, yeah, so we, we've got, uh, the scene with Ellie, uh, it's revealed that she's tried to acid burn the bite mark off. That is also proof that she's immune. So -hmm. she's tried to disfigure it in a way that the, uh, the sign that she was actually bitten is now gone. And then she's further disguised it with a, uh, tattoo and she tries to open about the, uh, open up about this to Dina and Dina doesn't buy it. Uh, and the scene ends with them uh, get, getting together. Get it on. Yeah. Um, and then. I thought all that was great, by the way. I was still yeah. totally on board for the game by this point. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesse shows up. Um, they sort of get caught um, <laughs> half, half naked. And he's like, Joel and Tommy have gone missing. Um, yeah. And that brings us to this is now it's handled in the game. It's a little more intercut because this game loves intercutting stories. Uh, but now I think we should probably talk about Abby unless there's anything else we want to hit with uh, Dina and Ellie. Don't think so. 
I would just All say right. about that scene in the grow house is yeah. that it's like it's a great relationship and the dialogue is very good and it feels very it's like naturally written and naturally acted and yes. um say what you will about like the plot and like the the themes and everything but the game never feels as comfortable as it does in that scene like later on we have flashbacks to Ellie and Joel and there's an awkwardness to those scenes and the writing and the dialogue that is, I don't think, intentional. Um, I just, I, I, I wonder why that relationship and 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 those characters together worked so well while what and and was never recreated. Not with Abby, not with other characters. Mm-hmm. It just, not even you know. in the farmhouse scene at the end. I felt like by then something had been lost, which I guess you could argue was intentional, but I don't think it should have been that way. I feel like that relationship should have grounded the rest of the game, and I would argue it sadly doesn't. Uh, Before we turn to um, Abby and her friends and their mission, uh, we should take a quick break here, and uh, you can hear all about um, the latest gear for gamers. Or whatever. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, so uh, the other character we're introduced to here in the beginning is Abby, who is traveling with a group of uh, young people of a similar age. It turns out they are all ex-Fireflies, currently kind of AWOL from yet another paramilitary force uh, Mm -hmm. they're a part of. But the game opens with uh, Abby awakening from a nightmare and rising before all her friends, except for uh, her friend Owen, who is uh, clearly her ex. And he has something to show her. And he takes her outside and reveals Jackson. And they have a quick conversation about basically how the thing that Abby's come here to do, trying to get get Joel out of Jackson, seems impossible. Uh, he's in the middle of a major city. There's just this mission is basically scrubbed like Owen has brought it to this point and he's looking at this and he's like, I don't see any way we can carry this out. Like we've come this far, but to push beyond this is suicide. Um, By the way, my new girlfriend Mel is pregnant. And so I really don't have it in me to go on a suicide mission for you right now. Uh, So you should probably have a think about what you want to do. Abby's furious, wanders off. And stumbles into the path of she begins trying to track down, uh, I I guess, Joel by herself. Right. Like her plan is to go to one of the observation points that the patrols use. Uh, So she's like, she's I'm going to freelance this and go find this guy by myself. Um, 
And along the way, she stumbles into the path of a horde, which in the time since this game began, like hordes now are a thing. Just tra- giant tracks, uh, packs of zombies uh, wandering the plains in migratory patterns. It's it's a beautiful thing. Uh, nature is healing. Right. <laughs> and uh, but it turns out there's like a million fucking zombies. Yeah. And you and just have to run. Yeah. Yeah. Abby's got to run like hell. But as these things tend to go, like the zombies are built for endurance uh, and her goose is just about cooked when she is hauled to safety by none other than Joel. Uh, uh, there's Joel and Tommy. And you know, <laughs> I took a screenwriting class in college and my teacher told me you're allowed to have one coincidence per story. And, you know, this uh, this game, it, it has a few more of those. Well, but if this, if your story is 35 hours long, right. really, you have like 15 stories. You get like six or seven, I think. Yeah, you get, you get some extra credit. Yeah, but anyway, this is the absurd coincidence that uh, kicks off the next chunk of game, is they just so happen to run into each other. How lucky. Lucky yeah. for Abby. And unlucky <laughs> for, for Joel. Well, because but part of the reason it's frustrating... Um, I, one, it's so early in the story that like to have written yourself into a corner that you need a, like, a coincidence <laughs> I know, is, like, you is, is not great. You already need to write yourself but, out but like I, a coincidence. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, I underst- like I understand the juxtaposition they're, they're trying to do, which is that like, oh, to, oh, Abby's going to see good guy Joel before she chooses to, right. you know, to actually go through. But I think that it undercuts like I, I think it would have been stronger if Abby just finds him, yeah, and just, just have her find him. Like, you, don't, you don't need to set it up like this. Like, just have her run into Joel because she intended to, and it's it's okay, right? Ex- yeah, like it, it, the I don't I don't I don't know what's accomplished other than like trying to show that Abby is shitty for like oh Perhaps. look like he's a good dude like why you don't need this golf club like get the putter instead of like the driver <laughs> you know like go a little easier on it like i just it, it's it's both frustrating because it's contrived and then frustrating because narratively i i think it it, it hurts the point it's even trying to make at mm-hmm. that point i think um, it's supposed to be foreshadowing i'll try to defend the game a little here um i think it is supposed to foreshadow that all of Abby's friends will die because of her choices and that she is very stubborn. And so we get this moment with Owen where he's like, Mel's pregnant. She's like super preggers, by the way, like we're talking seven months and up here and I'm real worried about how this is going to go and we could all die. And Abby's like, I don't care. I'm cool. (laughs) And I'm going to do this no matter what anyone forgot about her Batman voice. Yeah. this by the way the last of us two is the dark knight i'll get to that explanation later. uh yeah i actually will defend the fact that she meets joel this way because i think it is important that she meets the same joel that we know um mm-hmm. you know tough survivor will help you out in a pinch also that doesn't matter because the scale of what he did isn't going to be counterbalanced by right. like oh he will he will save an individual person great there's tons of people who will be decent people on an individual human to human level mm-hmm. uh doesn't mean they're anything less than monsters and in Abby's world and in sort of the way she constructs events he's 100% a monster um, but because he killed an individual person not because of the grand scale effects of it but That's yeah. a good point. They do they do personalize what happened with Abby mm-hmm. in a way that sure Abby's do. motivation is specific to the fact that she was the daughter of the surgeon uh, that Joel killed. I did not expect killed. that twist or whatever we want to call it because yeah. I just thought 
Abby's deal at this point, when we meet Abby and we see her murder Joel, I was like, she's going to turn out to have been a medical professional herself who was at the hospital or something. And she's traumatized by it. And she can't believe he did this to the world. And it's an anger at the structures in play, but it, doesn't turn out to be that it turns out her dad died and it's a story about teen girls whose dads died they're, and they gotta there, mirror there each you other go, i guess um, that structure but, yeah you know how when your dad dies you kill a lot of people we all know about that <laughs> i don't talk about that part of, yeah, of, of my own grief <laughs> of course we <laughs> don't but we're all familiar with it. patrick's weird fixation with there. dexter takes on a sinister cast. Uh, in, Why do you think I'm moving to the this? suburbs? It's a little bit easier out here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also like uh, the only motivation for killing someone or like engaging in some form of violence is personal as opposed to structural, yeah. which is, I've certainly hammered this point before in my other work, but I, I find that to be the biggest disappointment of the game to me is, is that no one in this world seems to acknowledge the structural violence that's occurring and has occurred and and seems very unaware of it, which is odd to me. Because again, I don't think people do that. I think people are aware of structural violence and it does inform their actions and makes them feel uncomfortable at the very least. And they often talk aloud about those feelings. Well, they, and like <laughs> the only time it really touches on that is like when Lev is introduced with Abby, right? And and there's a bit, a bit of like, like Abby asking Lev, you know, like, does well, it feel weird to shoot? Oh, you know, like there is, there are that? like tiny moments where it's like, it seems sort of weird that we're both, why do you call us scars? You know, uh-huh. like, like there is like tiny pockets of like, right, keep, Interesting. keep going. A um, huge structural <laughs> like conflict between two warring factions. And yet it turns out it's all about Abby's dad. Interesting, interesting stuff um, in this game. Um. I think the game does try to get into the structure stuff a lot with the stuff with the WF, WLF mm-hmm. and the Seraphites, mm-hmm. but I think the way it does that is also revealing. We'll get we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Joel and Tommy help Abby get the hell out of there, and their reward is for Joel to get his leg just about taken off with a shotgun blast uh, as he's sort of taken to this garage um and mm-hmm. then Ellie shows up just in time to watch him die of course weirdly no one else makes it in time but Ellie does so yeah that's, that's there also she gets she gets up there she walks in the door she's immediately pinned to the ground and forced to watch mm-hmm. as even Joel, though they don't know who she is by the way well yeah um but it's not like they're torturing her they're just like here she is and this is like half the group wants to kill her half the group yeah. is like hey no witnesses no survivors like we're here to kill Joel Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. anyone else in our path, and then it's going to be a clean break, we're done. And Abby and Owen are really forceful that, like, hey, that's not what we're about. We are not killing prisoners. Um, and so they don't kill Abby. They don't kill uh, Tommy. Uh, but Abby does execute Joel uh, after however long she tortured him. And... Uh, the next thing we have is Ellie deciding to light out after Abby. Uh, it turns out Tommy's already left. Um, mm-hmm. And so he's on his own revenge quest. Ellie also can't let this sit. Dina uh, is committed to standing by Ellie through this. So they both head off in search of uh, Abby and her friends, who they know is in Seattle. Um so let's just get 
get to the the opening of uh, Seattle here. Uh, Patrick, you got really excited about this because you thought it was going to be a different. Oh, it's sort my of favorite game. part of the game. Um, yeah, I mean, well, maybe not favorite part of the game, but I was excited at the the concept, uh, the tease that like there was a structural change happening to mm-hmm. just how the game itself would play out. Um, yeah. You know, Last of Us, Uncharted games are, are like deeply, you know, Naughty Dog's whole thing is linear affairs. It's how they pull off the type of storytelling and sort of like cinematic flair that they have made part of their narrative DNA. And they changed that a bit in uh, the one Uncharted game I like truly, really like is uh, Uncharted The Lost Legacy. It has its own problems with how it casts its characters. Like, let's not go down that road. Um, but um, the structure of it, of it being a little more open, where you uh, get a, to kind of like choose your own, like uh, more, choose your own pacing of how the the the, uh, the story plays out and just give it a little chance to breathe. Like, it doesn't always feel like it, it's being propelled forward at a pace that is tied in, um, intrinsically to the story and the pace of that story that Naughty Dog wants to to, um, to to put it out, there is this sequence where you're on a horse with Dina and Ellie, and you got a map, and you're checking things off. Like having a map and checking things off is like mm-hmm. one of those satisfying things I like in a game. I don't like it in a in an Origins or an Odyssey where there's ten thousand of those. But like, well, give me like UI twelve in those games. This game has no UI. It's like a physical map that you have to hold. Yeah, up and, look at. and that worked. Cool. That was cutesy. Like I yeah. I I, I love a little bit of um, where. Uh, instead of, you know, lots of games would just like, here's some binoculars and we're just going to check checkbox all the things that that character will randomly see so we can make sure you don't miss those yeah. uh, things that you can interact with. Here, it's like you walk around like there's like naturalistic dialogue, like, oh, there's a coffee shop or a comic store. And then she pulls out the map and she marks it. There's like really, really cool, tiny touches. And I spent so much time in that sequence. Like, I was like, I'm not going to miss a single thing Um and I, I really enjoyed it because there was like a little bit of combat, a little bit of exploration. It felt, uh, it just felt really good. Mm-hmm. And the game just never revisits that at all. Like such a strange, like such a strange decision to never revisit that mm-hmm. structure. Yeah. Period. And um, that feeling of exploring this dilapidated world with your GF. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it. It feels so great, and it gave time for characterization for that relationship. <laughs> yeah. and it. it it elevates and, yeah. everything the game is already good at. It elevates it like. Yes. The the dialogue is so it hits so much stronger when it's triggered by you stumbling on something. Yeah. Um, encountering the zombies is so much scarier when it's like you accidentally stepping into the wrong room. All that stuff is it's like it's good later on when it's like a linear hallway. But um, yeah, I was like you. I was like so delighted that they had this section, and it was like, oh, they'll probably have like another hub later on. Yeah. And and was and was very disappointed that there there nope. wasn't one, especially since like they must know that it's like the highlight of the game in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I wonder I wonder what led them to like only have one of these areas. Yeah. Um, I really like Ellie's cover of "Take on Me." Like it is. <laughs> Me too. Like it is. There, there's two why things. does she know that song? Why is that? Um, well, first of all, song? I don't it's care. It's a fucking song. Sure. Uh, People are going to be listening to it 50 years hence. It's just how it is. That song is going to live forever. It's a beautiful sequence. Optional, right? Like you could theoretically miss it. I don't know anybody who missed it, though. Because I know, like, but you could. Like, I missed in, it, like, buddies. Even I missed that sequence. You did? Yeah, I did. What? <gasps> Had to watch it on the internet later. Didn't know it was there. My coworker <laughs> oh, Jenna told me about it, and I was like, review. damn. Shit. You can totally See, that's miss great, it. though, right? That that in and of itself I is, know. I loved that I missed is it because underscoring I was like, what? that rules. 
<laughs> why? Yeah, why I wish more stuff like that was in the game. Because what if there were like a dozen of those sequences where it's like all oh, these little character moments that, you know, it doesn't fundamentally it change your understanding. Like there's probably other stuff we missed. I mean, I love that feeling anyway. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's cool. I, mean, I don't think so. I think you saw all the other, <laughs> all the other did, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, that might be the only one. <laughs> one of the other things you stumble into in the sequence, there's some... Uh, basically, you come to a big security checkpoint with a big list of codes oh, next. No. Like, you gotta bad, find bad, the codes, bad, 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 bad. and yep. you will you will go through every single code in that code book. Turns out, mm-hmm. like the master code list is like ten feet away. Uh, yeah. But anyway, you need to get. I, I want to say you have to get gas for a generator somewhere. Where could it be? The local synagogue, <laughs> uh, and. <laughs> You yeah. go to uh, you you go to a temple in Seattle, and it is another one of those quiet beats where we build out more of uh, Dina's character and her relationship with Ellie. Uh, mm-hmm. But but and it really her, is a like being in a family of Holocaust survivors and talking about that part of her identity too. Which I was like, ooh, is this going to play a role in her character arc? It's not, but uh, it was a <laughs> cool scene. <laughs> yeah, Emmanuel, you and I ended up chatting a bit about like how that all lands uh and and how it works. Uh what was your what was your vibe with the uh with the synagogue loaded with backstory and religious lore? Yeah. Uh the yeah, the Jewish amusement park ride. Uh <laughs> I I thought it was like Look, it's like I'm 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 Jewish and like I don't see like cultural representations of, of of that in games. So it was interesting and I when I first played it, it's like I didn't find it offensive in any way. I don't think it's doing anything wrong. It's kind of sweet in a way, I think was my first read on it. Um it also felt contrived because I don't know. It's just like it's this 15 minute sequence where you step into a synagogue and like you get bombarded with like Jewish cultural references and that doesn't come up again. Um, yeah. And it's just like what I was like, oh, it's a synagogue. That's interesting. That That's just like legitimately an interesting space to be in. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Dina shares uh, something about her family being survivors and you know, we're in a post-apocalyptic world, so they're all survivors. So that's kind of interesting. But it's like, then there was like four more references. It's like, oh God, it's like when they're opening the tour, I'm like, Jesus, it's like, this is a little much for me. Um, I had to tap out when you discover in the rabbi's office the letter he'd written uh, to, or maybe you discover this at a checkpoint later because he gave it, I think, to the Fedra lieutenant. Uh, so basically this was like a depot that Fedra was using, which is like the, mm-hmm. the FEMA equivalent. Uh, and also in the first game, we saw that Fedra kind of turned into the uh, fascist military government uh, overseeing right. the uh, sort of strongholds for survivors. Uh, here, Ellie keeps discovering uh, a really complete and detailed record of the arc of Fedra's uh, loss of control of Seattle. Uh, the fact they're dealing with an insurgency from a force called the the Wolves. Um, one of the first things you see is a huge hotel with a uh, WLF Wolfhead banner uh, draped from uh, one of the one of the top windows. But you find this letter from the rabbi who is just telling this federal lieutenant, you know, just as you know, eighty years ago, uh, 
my family was helped to escape Germany uh, by or, or Poland by a, by a good officer uh, who who allowed us to escape to safety. You too are helping us escape to safety today. And at that point, I was like, "This is really dense." It's like I think part of it was just the density. Where I think to that mm-hmm. point about the amusement park ride, Emmanuel. I think like if this stuff had been woven a little bit more through the fabric of the story, where it is popping up while they're filling in all these other blanks and backstories in this game, if it just been part of the backdrop, I don't think it would have registered for me as being so heavy, but like it is literally a series of rooms where everything has something especially Jewish happening in it. Mm-hmm. And I would say another, another, much. another that I agree with all of that. And I, I think that at the end of the day, it just feels kind of awkward um and it's not a big deal you know what i mean i appreciate the effort you know what i mean yeah uh it's nice to see <laughs> all right well, <laughs> re- re- representation of different people in games but yeah good effort a, good effort. yeah on, on a second on a second playthrough i think especially once like i was uh kind of reading a lot of what uh neil Druckmann has said about the game and the influences and like doing a deeper reading about how the history of Seattle in the game maps disturbingly neatly to like an Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, After like, and I didn't get to that until I finished the game actually. And then replaying that section, I'm like, look, it's like you get, you spend 15 minutes uh, depicting Jewish identity in a video game and a Jewish identity, like any like any other, it's like it's on a it's on a monolith, right? There's many aspects to it, right? It's like uh, it, people are very uh, proud of like a history of like Jewish intellectualism, uh, uh, like uh, they take pride in like kind of historical views on justice and stuff like that. But it's like the thing that the game narrows on. Um, and I counted. It's like in the span of this 15 minutes, there's like three separate references to to the holocaust and it's just like that's what it chooses to represent jewish identity as it's like jews as victims and survivors people who um are always persecuted and uh you know need to need to fight to be alive basically and like there's no denying that that is like a pillar of jewish identity for good reason that predates the holocaust but it's like that is deliberately the thing that the game chooses to to show the player. And I think that um, the way that fits into the rest of the game is that's where it, it gets a little uh, difficult for me, I would say. Yeah. It, also, like the representation of the queer experience, there's a lot of parallels there in terms of how it's portrayed where queer queerness as like an identity is is it's often depicted in this game as being about suffering and pushing back against cultural norms and that is that can be an element of queerness but like the fact that this game chooses that to focus on is um it's a choice uh it's not it's not that it's false but it's just like oh this is a lens through which the game it's a lens the game is very fascinated with and yeah anyway i was just struck by the parallels you were talking it's interesting um, so I think the opening of Ellie's arrival in Seattle after this, after this like open world area, the game begins to funnel and it turns into more of a checklist as she begins going down the list of people 
who uh, were part of that mission. Conveniently, the first WLF member who ambushes her and Dina actually has their fun little Polaroid Instamatic snapshots of their trip to kill Joel. It's like... they're going fishing or something like hey hey get one of all of us uh uh-huh. write down everyone's names just make sure you write everyone's names on these photos in case we forget our own names please write them on these polaroids of us yes. yeah also polaroids like where like are there still working instamatics in this world is, is yeah man filming? don't even get me started on how guitar yeah. strings would be doing don't think about it don't think about it it's that's oh good. yeah that's another question I, yeah so <laughs> A post-apocalypse uh, filled with guitars. Anyway, so <laughs> they get ambushed by the WLF. Um, they meet the first of that crew of assassins, the douchiest of the bunch, the dude who's not even given a very good character model because he's going to get murdered so quickly. Um, and that gives Ellie enough information to start tracking down the rest of that hit squad. And... She and Dina begin working their way, uh, you know, down down the list. And the first place they have to go is to this TV station, uh, where one like where one of the crew has has holed up. But they keep finding evidence that Tommy's also been through all this. That that Tommy's mm-hmm. already killed a couple people from that squad, and is actually just tantalizingly just a little ahead of them. Uh, doing the same kind of thing. Uh, and I think in this section of the game, it's very familiar, The Last of Us. Um, mm-hmm. Like, the new wrinkle is you can sort of sneak through the tall grass. Uh, but I think in this stage of the game, it's all really familiar stuff. Um, I don't know. I thought the TV station was cool. Um, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of creepy, um, creepy tableaus. And yeah. a local TV station, which is just an inherently kind of corny place with its local TV backdrops and crummy little studio. Having that turned into an execution ground uh, and realizing that like... <laughs> with that set, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a bunch of people got killed there. It's the first time you start to realize that like, wait, like who got killed by Tommy and who got killed by other people? And you, right. you you're starting to get the sense that like the WLF is fighting somebody... And it's not going great uh, because it sounds like everybody is being collected at strong points to basically gather resources and then evacuate. Um, but while she, while she's in this uh, TV station, uh, the WLF finds them. There's a big fight, and I think this is this where we're led into the uh, into the underground. Patrick, is this is this roughly where we have that that chase? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the one of the like one of the most like beautifully nightmarishly lit sequences. Yeah, you're you're escaping from this and you go underground. It's like the first sequence where they incorporate the left behind mechanic of being able to like trick the infected into fighting like the humans. And you have that yeah. big. You're underground with the subway. You've got the big glaring red light. It's like it's 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 one it's one of the it's just a really striking image to just walk through that space and you don't have to do anything. You just throw a brick and the infected mm-hmm. take care do of all the, hu- the humans. Yeah. And there's like one, one like infected left behind that you can go and stab, but it's, it's a really satisfying, beautiful sequence that oh, yeah. there are, there are a few times the game hits the same like high for how it depicts um, the infected who are like otherwise have become just sort of a, uh, I mean, they're beautifully nightmarish, but they're not scary anymore. Yeah, it's it's difficult like for it to make it scratch. scary. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's like it's it, it choose, you know, I think there are sequences where they make them scary again. You know, the Abbey with the hotel and the hospital and the, the Resident Evil creature they introduce. Is that scary? <laughs> in, in that, well, it was scary because it was no fun to play. Mm. And um, it was like, it was this scary is a weird how boss long battle. it took me to beat. It was a little over. But, long. Uh, it was a little over long. 100 floors of flying yeah. frights. They ain't all going to be winners. Yeah, no, I know. N- um, but yes, that that sequence occurs there, and I, I think it's a it's a it's really good. Yeah, I I love that shit. The the lurid red light. I just threw a brick, ran like hell, didn't even yeah. fight most people. I was just you like, oh wow, right. the the infected are just ripping these dudes apart. This is really cruel, See ya. but also kind of <laughs> rad. Um, and then you're sort of plunged into uh, you know a quintessential. Last of Us, you got to go through a long underground sequence uh, with lots of creepy zombies and navigate through that. I don't think there's a lot to talk to there except that at the end of it, the bloaters are introduced there, right? Like the, the yeah, like the one of, one of the few new enemy types is mm-hmm. it comes through there, and of course you're the amount of times like take a drink every time you're like going through um, a corridor and like it breaks underneath you, yeah, um, <laughs> which is what. Well, and also, like, the bloater's a new enemy, but also it's, like, the enemy that's always introduced in a zombie game. So, like, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, okay. I was pretty but- disappointed by that, actually. I was, I, I understood that the Infector were taking a pretty a back seat there and were just sort of, like, um, you know, an occasional enemy and kind of filler for a lot of the game. They're really not, like, part of the A plot to, to any degree. Which and is so, weird in and of itself, but, It, yeah. it is strange, because, like, the Infected are, like... I, I feel like a unique take on uh, the zombie where mm-hmm. they divorce themselves from a lot of the establishing mythology. So they can kind of do whatever they want and create potentially some interesting enemy types. And what like there's there's like really only two in this one that interests right? There's like, what is it? The hunter, the one that you can't quite track with your. Oh, those hearing. things yeah. suck, though. Those things yeah. ain't shit. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'm so angry about those things. Wow. Like, why I was like, you, what, ooh, I can't even hear them. Oh, wow. They mm-hmm. took away my, my zombie sensing ability. But they make yep. up for it by the fact they're fucking dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, the clever yeah. hunter. <laughs> they just hide behind a car. Yeah. yeah, and then they just run at you. You shoot one hunter, then and then they all away. come out. <laughs> like, you should just run after them and get them that way. Uh, it was like mm. just that and the bloater. And the bloater is just, I don't know, throw a Molotov cocktail and run away. Yeah. Um, um, so I was, pretty, I was pretty disappointed by the lack of imagination on... And again, so it's like three. It's like that. It's those two, and then the, the Resident Evil boss that that yeah. shows up um, mm-hmm. three fourths through the game. And I, I thought they could have done a little bit more, given how you don't fight the infected nearly as much as Last of Us one, but you still fight them enough that at a certain point, as as satisfying as the stealth is, I could have used some sort of you know like a dog equivalent, um, like that, like something that like forced me to act a little differently and be a little more active in in my play. Um. Oh, just forgot this. Dina's been a little bit sick uh, throughout all this. And if you read Ellie's <laughs> journal, there's a reference to her being sick on the road. Maybe she's coming down with something. Who knows? Mm. Anyway, there's a sequence where they have to encounter spores and Ellie's gas mask gets broken. Dina freaks out and is like, we can share it. And it's a good sequence where she's like trying to think how they can both survive this. But like from what Dina believes about the world, they're both fucked, and the best yeah. chance they have is try to share this gas mask, which will undoubtedly kill them both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Ellie like gets her to stop freaking out and is like, I'm immune. I'm immune. That's how that all like gets brought out into the open. And then short, I think like literally like immediately after that, Dina also has a confession. 
she's pregnant. Uh, and they escape to a uh, beautiful uh, local theater. Uh, and they sort of make that their headquarters and they both kind of have this like a little bit of a little bit of a fight they're more just not talking about it because ellie's pissed that dean is pregnant and didn't say anything and also it's weird because like okay so like you and jesse were hooking up and now you're pregnant and like Mm -hmm. you're starting to think with me that's weird that's that's a that's some weird terrain and dean is like hey you didn't tell me that you were immune that's fucked up but ellie's like like, i did tell you you just didn't believe me yeah yeah um and then we get i think this is where we get our flashback uh that everyone loved and i'm not sure i do uh the zoo who wants to tell us about the zoo not the zoo, the museum. The Natural the, History Museum. The Natural History Zoo, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where zoos, yeah, but for dead animals. Sequence. Long dead animals. Right. Like the, the, the astronaut sequence is, is like cute and great. Um, but like the, but to the what museum end? sequence. Well, sure. No, it's just, it's like, hey, do you remember The Last of Us 1? Gosh, it would be great to go back to all that, wouldn't right. it? Like, here you go. I here mean, is, you can say to what end you, to any scene, Rob. Like, it, it, that is that is the issue that you and I take with this game, is that like... It, there are scenes that are that are striking and wonderful or compelling in some way, but they are in service of a larger scaffolding that doesn't hang together. And this but, is one but of Patrick, them. you are the sentimentalist. Of yeah, the bunch. yeah, sure. Tell yes, us, I'm tell very us how great 100%. it is when yeah. Joel can remember Jurassic Park. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> As a man who also I mean, loves I mean, Jurassic Park. I do. Well, I mean, not to but love. I'm I have uh so like the like you know going back to your point earlier about Rob about the TV station like I thought that was a unique like setting like when they're like you know when you're drawing up like okay you know here's a whiteboard what are unique settings that would make sense in a post apocalypse that would like you know uh, be interesting to explore to watch have like um, uh, depreciated to some degree without any care and just like eventually that gets kind of like, yeah, we've done this before. Like I've done gone, I've gone to the museum. Like I just did that in half-life Alex earlier this year in a different form. Like just another one of those in last of us didn't, didn't do a lot for me, even though the dinosaurs are great. Like it's cute. Like it's one of those, it's, it's like if it was an isolated bit, like if it was like DLC, I downloaded before the last of us part two came out. It's like, Hey, do you just want to go spend 20 minutes with Joel and Ellie? I'm like, yeah, this is fine. Like, cool. Like here's a reminder of, kind of where they were and what their dynamic was. But I'm with the both of you that I don't, that it like serves any greater narrative purpose other than feeling like kind of nostalgia, like a, just a burst of nostalgia that it has to like inject every once in a while. Mm -hmm. It often feels like it's just cut content. That's like, well, this is all, this is kind of too good to just throw away. So just put it into the game. um, So they can, you know, remind yourself because Joel is like not in the picture. So it feels like the game justifying like, well, Troy Baker's performance is pretty good as Joel. (laughs) Wouldn't want to get rid of that for the whole game. And I understand like the impulse there. I just don't know if like, other than it being endearing and sappy and like the astronaut sequences, like, you know, pulls up my heartstrings. It's the kind of thing, like the further distance you have from it, it works in the moment. Like a lot of last of us, Part two for me works in the moment, mm-hmm. and the, the the moment I get any like distance from it, it's like, well, wait, well, what wait was a that second. For? Yeah. Um, well, like, me, I enjoyed that. That was a good a high. But. I, I I'm defending this game more than I thought I would, but I think the reason why they felt this scene needed to be where it is is because by this point. I, the player, was really starting to question Ellie's actions. Like, she's just yeah. yelled at Dina that she's a burden because Dina didn't reveal her pregnancy <laughs> to her. And that is never sure. resolved, by the way. They never really hash out that argument again, which 
frankly bothered me <laughs> but but like we are starting to dislike ellie or at least i was i started to be like why is she acting like this why isn't she opening up more to dina about like what the situation was how much does she really know about the hospital and like maybe it's starting to occur to her by this point that joel might have some enemies who make sense given the whole hospital thing and like is that eating away at her and so we need a scene that reminds us what she's missing so much and what it right. is that she's going on this murder spree for which was this you know, ideal relationship with Joel that is just beat for beat depicted. Like this is like a hundred percent good shit in this natural history museum flashback. Mm -hmm. It's like, remember how awesome Joel was as a father figure. He really nailed it that one day. And like, <laughs> that's what we're imagining Ellie remembering too, in these moments when she's on the, the murder in hunt is like, remember how cool Joel was. I can't believe how cool he was and how much I got to kill these people. And like, Obviously, it didn't quite work for me, but I get how, like, on a corkboard somewhere, it it needed to be there. Something needed to mm. remind us in this moment why Ellie keeps murdering so many people indiscriminately because it, it's... I mean, this is where the game falls down in the next few hours is because it, it ceases to be able to justify Ellie's actions. It keeps having to try to explain to us, like, oh, she's really upset about Joel dying, and it just starts getting more and more bizarre to me. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I'm with you. And I, I agree with you that I see where it came, where, like, where the origin story of this, this scene fits. And, like, when I've read or watched videos where the more, like, you know, popular reading of this, like, the non-sort of, like, critical reading, like, if you so if you want to go watch a quick version of this, um, Girlfriend Reviews, like, the popular YouTube channel mm -hmm. where she watches her boyfriend play games and then does these critical essays, a lot of them are, like, really, really good. Like, I've, I've enjoyed a lot of her videos. And the one she did of... Uh, the Last of Us Part 2, I think is in 10 minutes, will crystallize like what did Naughty Dog intend for people to take away from this game? What was the popular, what was the reading they wanted when, most likely wanted, mm -hmm. when they sat down and said, this is the story we're telling. And like, you will see that demonstrated and articulated like and really well argued from the perspective of like, that's the reading you took away from the game um, in that video. And having watched that video, because I've read so many pieces that are like, more in line with like <laughs> where all we're at. And I wanted to like dip my toe back into like, how is this landing with other people who are taking like wildly different readings mm -hmm. and waiting from different scenes. And so, whereas that falls flat to me, cause I don't think it justifies Ellie's uh, 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 arc. And certainly because of like the length of that arc, you know, again, yeah. if it was a third of where it was, I could see it playing better. It's just because of the length of it mm -hmm. and the, the viciousness of it yeah. and the callousness of it. Um, but when I when I watched that video, I was also reminded. Well, for okay, I, I see I see where this lands. If you came away from the game slightly differently, or we're like we're just beat for beat along for the ride that Naughty Dog was putting in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, my just one note about the uh, zoo scene is also it doesn't feel to match up with where we left the relationship uh, in that opening cutscene with the tension between them. And you could say like, okay, um, they still had good days, and like Ellie might be intentionally like letting it go because she would rather have this good relationship but again like she's so wide-eyed and naive in that scene and just like really unencumbered by their very recent history that it just struck yeah. me well, as, she seems much younger like if you had told yeah. me that was a scene from yeah. the last of us one right it's like yes. hey we're going way back this was something from the first yeah, game like you didn't pre -hospital see pre-hospital somehow and yeah yeah she seems much more childlike um in in that sequence in a way that um it, the way she is left at the end of part one and where we are introduced to her in part two 
it, you know, her maturity betrays her age and, and appearance. Like she is, she's a much older and wiser person than maybe her, her age would normally would ascribe to someone, um, you know, and, you know, that we normally would. But, um, yeah, that, that sequence, it, it goes a little bit further than just like, I'm going to set aside my own bullshit because I just want to have a good day with Joel. Um, yeah. I, you know, you don't, you don't get you know, a lot of that tension that you, that you mentioned. Um, so Dina's out of the picture as far as the mission. Uh, the yeah, next she's day, done so pretty much from this um, point on. Moms are dead weight. Uh, yep. And I got to tell you, as someone that is, you know, <laughs> my wife just gave birth, you are not useless in like when you become pregnant. No. Um, in fact, this game even demonstrates with a different character who's pregnant, you can do a lot of shit even when you got a fucking bowling ball <laughs> in your stomach destroying your back. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I like took... Yes, like uh, 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 morning sickness yeah. uh, can affect people in different ways. That is, there, that is it. There is a whole different arc to how bodies can be impacted by pregnancy. But one, the game doesn't like ruminate on that at all. It mostly just comes across as like a convenient way to like remove uh, Dina from the picture. Yeah. And ultimately, I, man, if she had been in that whole game or around for longer, um, I think could have been a really interesting counterweight and helped uh, deal with a lot of our sort of like structural and issues with, with Ellie's narrative. Um, especially like Emmanuel's point earlier about like, wow, it seems weird to bring up like the Jewish stuff out of nowhere and just do like a lore dump, uh, here for uh, the Jewish people. Like if you have a religious cult, I don't know, maybe there could have been interesting things that like Dina could have been as, there's just more that that character could have done. And it bums me out so much that she just immediately gets sidelined until it's convenient for her to be, you know, uh, someone to yell at Ellie at the end of the game. Yeah. And I think Dina Dina has a relationship with Ellie where she knows Ellie really well. And like, I think Dina is a character. I think this is the real reason why she has to disappear right now is because Dina would ask awkward questions and not awkward questions just for Ellie. Awkward questions for like the continuation of this plot. Yeah. Um, so instead Dina is put on ice. Um, Ellie, you know, sets her up with a cozy little, uh, you know, nest in the theater and then heads out. And begins trying to make her way to. I think she's on her way to the hospital at this point. Uh, Emmanuel, yeah, I think you're right. That roughly, she's still it's really far away. But yeah, I think the yeah, hospital it takes is her the, several hours. <laughs> the hospital to get to is it. really far away. But uh, uh, she is trying to get to it. She runs into well, first of all, dogs. Mm-hmm. Here there be fuck. There's so many weird things. There's an entire weird arc with the bow. You remember this? She's got a faded bow that is like a cursed weapon uh, because she goes to the suburb that was like taken over by the WLF, and then they started at, like basically Green Arrow lived in the suburbs. Okay, <laughs> Green Arrow lived in the suburbs during the the zombie apocalypse, and the, stayed out of all the fighting, I guess. And the WLF. Uh, just turns like mask off fascist the minute they've gotten rid of Fedra and mm-hmm. is basically like forcing populations to relocate inside their strongholds. Um, and Green Arrow is like, no, like that's we've got our own community. We don't need to do that. And uh, he has trained his daughter in the ways of the bow and WLF just executes her, just murders her. So this is all told via notes. So, the green arrow is that more like a Hawkeye situation? Yeah, it does sound very Hawkeye. There's a daughter involved in all. That that could be. That could be. I don't know. I, I guess I'm thinking more <laughs> of the. If a young um, girl is being trained in the bow, we're talking about Marvel. That's comics that's here. what made me think of it. It was yeah. like Rob, you made me read those comics, so that's immediately what <laughs> that, I was. Thinking. That's true, but I think the sort of dark side thing reminds me a little more of the Arrow TV show. Okay. Uh, right. Stephen Amell's okay. Arrow definitely would have gone like berserk in this exact <laughs> way. Uh, so anyway. 
So his daughter's executed, and everyone in the neighborhood's like, whoa, okay, uh, we will just go along now. Like, WLF, please stop executing us. Uh, we're, we're all good. And Green Arrow is like, goes full Montresor, where decides the entire town must be punished for not standing up to the WLF, and arranges for everyone to get infected and trapped inside like a locker uh, somewhere. Um, and that's where you find like you find a building jam packed with infected because this dude in his own vengeance quest uh, infected his entire village and locked a ton of people together so they could all watch each other turn um, and force them to like slow walk uh, to to being completely infected and taken. It's pretty horrific gothic shit, but the payoff is you get that dude's bow. That's it. That's mm-hmm. why, like, <laughs> this stuff is in the game, so that yeah. Ellie can find the dude's practice range and get the bow and arrow, which I will admit is a really sweet weapon. Like, it bow is. and arrow oh, is so a yeah. good fucking it, you know? weapon. <laughs> Anytime you give me a bow and arrow in a video, that game, little arc, I love it. You gotta, you gotta just oh. get gotta, dial gotta, in. Oh, and when it, it misses, it is so infuriating. <laughs> it's so maddening. Oh, did it miss? But it feels like, yeah, I fucked that up. That's on me, game. Like, yep, you gave me all the tools. Yep. Yeah. Um. So in that same neighborhood, she meets dogs. Um. And we learn that Ellie, not a friend to our canine companions. Um. Yeah, I mean, you they, can avoid the dogs also, if you're good at, at stealth. I, I wasn't. I was not either. I also, I, I okay, I'm pretty good at stealth games. I'm very bad about getting lost in games. I get lost a lot mm. in games, and I got lost a lot in this game, so pretty much I'd have to kill everybody in every area just so that I could figure out where the heck I was supposed to go, and that included all those poor little puppy dogs, and it was not fun to do, but it's not supposed to be fun. So. See, we upset Mina. Uh, <laughs> Goal well, it's because it's part of how the way the game uh, displays like its stealth, yes. um, right? Like it's like because like in, in the way it's doing it is so that it's crowding out all the environment around you, so it becomes difficult to. Like I understand what they're trying to like. I don't know, like superpower they're trying to like visualize here. Where it's like, oh, the only way to really hear it is like if you're still and your eyes are closed and you can like visualize where you know where the the dogs and the enemies are, mm-hmm. whereas. I, I don't. Know, I think there are more. Maybe your issue is partially because of that's the way they choose to to visualize the stealth. Whereas there could have been other ways that allows you to to sneak I don't by know, may, in a different maybe, way. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe, maybe just make it like, hey, if you decide to move, we're going to like make it less effective. But you can still kind of hear what's going on, so that you could do a little more like moving at the same time. Um, yeah, but I, 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 I would I think argue it's not really fully a stealth game. It's more of a game that wants you to do a little bit of stealth, but also wants that to get messed up because then the fun stuff is you having to get out of that situation and scrape your way through a quick little combat routine and then you go back to stealthing and then you like stealth murder a couple of people and then you, oh, somebody else sees you and you just have to scrape your way back out. I mean, that for me was the combat rhythm of the game. It's a very yeah. enjoyable rhythm. It stops being enjoyable. Once I think it's more fun with Abby. It, 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 it's very fun with Abby as well. I feel like the dogs, they introduce this moral quandary that I wish were more interesting or like developed at all in the game, which is like if you are a person who trains a dog to kill 
are you <laughs> are you innocent if you kill this dog? Like this dog is going to kill you no matter what. It it doesn't know any better. But humans have trained the dogs to do this. And then like one of the many many narrative turns that happens later is that you're sort of invited to see these dogs as companion animals, as the dogs that we're right. familiar with who haven't been trained to murder other outsiders on site. At least I hope not. And so then once we get to that turn, I'm like but these dogs are trained military combatants. Like, yes, they're adorable, and I love the dogs, and I want to just play with the cute dogs. Elliot just had a squishy but, toy. But, I could, I could have, like, thrown that and distracted I mean, there's, the like, multiple dog-playing minigames that you are forced to, to play. Like, you cannot avoid playing fetch with the dog in order to advance the game. But, again, these dogs have been trained to kill outsiders, and so you also couldn't have avoided killing them. So it's yeah. like, what what is being said here exactly? And what what larger moral stance is being taken? I'm I'm not even sure there is one other than doesn't this feel bad? And it's like, yeah, it it did. You're right. It always feels <laughs> shitty to kill a dog in a video game, no matter how well or poorly rendered. <laughs> it still feels bad. The, the Nazi dogs in Wolfenstein, I was like, no problem. Yeah, but dogs, they're cyborg uh... dogs. Like, fuck those guys. Um, <laughs> well, okay, all like, right. Once, Important once it's a mecha Maybe. German Shepherd, like, I have no problem <laughs> sure. just emptying, emptying that clip uh, mm-hmm. like I'm a cop uh, <laughs> meeting a domestic cop. Um, but I think in this sequence, um, you know, it is as it becomes clear, like Tommy's wreaking all kinds of havoc. Now you are also probably wreaking all kinds of havoc. Uh, The dogs like keep sniffing me out. I'm killing them right and left. Uh, You get through a pretty long, like trek through this, uh, like suburban cul-de-sac and then bam, there's Jesse. Uh, Jesse's here and Jesse has a shitty plan uh, involving like everything's been fine. We've been super stealthy. And then Jesse's like, let's hop in this car and just drive. And it goes, yeah, predictably but he's endearing and he's and he's funny so it's oh, like, kind of cool like you know what jesse, jesse let's go <laughs> let's go jesse driving sequence it's here yeah, yeah. you're gonna be shooting out the window uh mm-hmm. doing all that but oh every 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 one of those sequences or like the chase sequences like b- like did not work nearly as well for me yeah divorced from no <laughs> yeah well like any sequence where it's like hey ammo is really scarce except for this one part where we want you to just unload <laughs> your clip. i don't think anything um, is gonna top the last of us one sequence where joel's like hung upside down from a meat hook and he suddenly has like an endless revolver to just like mow down <laughs> zombies. And it's just like yep. loading loose rounds into a pistol <laughs> while hanging like upside down. It's like, my God, was he an Olympian? Was like just incredible <laughs> core strength, uh, like cardio health. Just Joel's the man. Uh, but yeah, like. I think this is a this is a arc of Naughty Dog thing where their OG turret sequences felt a little bit like okay that's a good chase 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 sequence, and then as these games have gone on they keep trying to top themselves, and each chase sequence seems to me to get a little less convincing because like this one sequence is a good example that car takes like eighteen disabling blows before it is finally disabled like so many things happen where I'm like. Jesse and Ellie should be unconscious. That car should be like flipped over <laughs> and like on fire and into flames. Yeah. <laughs> or like when you're running, it's like, all right, where is the the mud that I need to like slip down? You know, <laughs> like where I need, give me that, give me that sliding sequence. Yeah. Um. So 
I get a little fuzzy here. Does does the hospital happen that same night, Emmanuel? Like, how do we get to? Uh, well, I think Jesse has to find out Dina's pregnant at some point, and then that's right. a whole altercation. Do they go back to the theater and then and then Ellie solos the hospital that night? Is that, I think so, is yeah. that how it goes? Because I think I Jesse so. takes care of Dina. Right. Because sure. And Ellie's immediately threatened because <laughs> Ellie and because yeah. Dina and Jesse. She's very insecure and yeah. it's his kid and all of that made a certain kind of sense to me, even oh, though yeah. I didn't like the broader structural choice of taking Dina out of commission for the rest of the game. It made me feel disappointed. And sort of sad about how heteronormative the plot device was. But you can do that. You can do that if you want in a game, I guess. Um, I want to call out one thing here. When Ellie, I think it's the night Ellie is on her way to the hospital. I think that's where she has her first encounter with the scars. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's probably my favorite combat sequence in the game. Manuel, I see, I see you nodding. Um, it's a terrifying it's it's the most terrifying uh section of both of those games in my opinion it's like uh you're supposed to cross this park it's like an open space with uh, a lot of tall grass so you know something's going to happen um but all of a sudden you just hear these this whistling Mm -hmm. and at first i was like at first it didn't register and I was like, oh, maybe that's a bird or something. But then it was like, oh, that whistle is a, a, a person whistle. <laughs> and that was terrifying because I was like, I've not heard that as like as, as, as a player. I have not heard this before. I don't even know what this means. What is what is this even signaling? And then I think you're probably forced to like take that first arrow because yeah. the, the game is teaching you that you're going to bleed out unless you pull it out. And it just like it is rapidly introducing like a few concepts and an entirely new type of enemy, um, and it's it, it just, I think it's a really good uh, section and a really good idea. I also feel like they don't revisit that either. It's like you you get them. It's like oh, these people do it completely differently. They figured out a new way to survive in this world, which is like being quiet, whistling, all this stuff. And then, but like I think from that point on, when you meet them, they're just like dudes with guns again. Yeah. Austin talks a lot about, um, you know, powerful device is always your most deadly enemy is the one that mirrors you, right? And to a degree, like, Abby's supposed to be that for Ellie and vice versa, but I think the true analogy is in this sequence, the scars you first meet fight like you do as a player. Like, they don't announce themselves. Uh, Like, the whistling is really hard to locate. Uh, You know, there's a lot of... Other enemies talk too much and they're just like, I'm over here. And you're like, great, you're over there. I'll just I'll just work my way over there and kill you first. Uh, the scars, I never knew where they were. There's also a, a really cool thing is that they're like, by the end of that section, you realize that there's like a logic to the whistling. So there's like, hey, I'm over here. Mm-hmm. And then there's like, I'm over here. I'm, I need help. It's like, there's yeah. different kinds of whistling. And that's that, that also like elevated the fear where right. it's like, oh my God, they're like, they're playing on a totally different level because they're communicating in a way that I cannot. It's really cool. There's one whistle that they make when they've sighted you. And yes. like it's basically like the hunting call where it's like, you know, converge. And the minute you hear that, it's terrifying because you're like, yeah. I'm about to have like three people in my face that I have no idea where they are because I can't see them and they don't make any noise. Um, I want to uh, point out um, there is a great Twitter thread by the one of the people who was chiefly responsible for building like the 
whistle tech, you know, <laughs> like how, how they implemented the audio design and the recording. Um, it, it, if you look up the um, uh, Twitter account um, at A-N Ang Hill, uh, A-N-G-H-I-L, just one L. Um, uh, unfortunately, they don't credit themselves in here. They just have their Twitter name as uh, Black Lives Matter. But they, they worked on um, a building that. And there's a 25 uh, tweet thread that like walks you through exactly how it works the way it does. And, and it's it's like really fascinating. Um, and it's like th- this is one of those – like the whistles is like illustrative of like – this is the kind of shit where I appreciate like where Naughty Dog sits and spends and overthinks and overspends on on something that it, um, other studios would just not have the opportunity to do. And like these are the moments where I appreciate that they get a chance to like sit and be like, what if we spent <laughs> the amount of money and time that other companies spend on like one of their like central uh, mechanics on like how the en- one enemy type whistles. Yeah. Um, and it pays off. It makes them so defining and terrifying and interesting in a way that um, – you can easily imagine how it would be much lesser. Um, and so I, I recommend reading through that thread to get a, even just a better appreciation of the amount of work that went into something that you can understand was probably not easy. But once you see how they actually did it, it's even it's even more impressive. Can I add to that? It's a bit of a tangent, but it's like looking back at the game, I think that the things that I really like about it are directly tied to what you're talking about, Patrick, where – they're directly tied to the studio's ability to practice excess and spend an enormous amount of resources and the backbreaking labor of hundreds of people to create this world. It's like, those are the things that make the game uh, good, in my opinion. It's like, it's not, it's, 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 uh, there's another great thread about like, the sound of the glass breaking. I think it's maybe by the same uh, guy, but it's like breaking windows in that game feels so real. Um, and he talks about like the, the truly mind boggling amount of work that went into just like that one sound effect. Um, and it's, but I think it like, it ties into other parts of the game where it's like the thing I, I find impressive about its story, like even like counting its problems is like, it just like, it is able to tell so much story. Right. So it's like, you have what is a complete game with one character and they're like, okay, now let's do another game from the perspective of a different character. And I think that's like what makes the, 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 the last of us Two worthy, uh, or like worth checking out is like stuff like that. And that is directly tied to budget and, and, and resources. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, but I, and it's also frustrating that, because there are so few sequences like this, it does feel like it's all this bespoke work for like sometimes just one scene. The glass breaking is a cool thing throughout the game, but like I think beyond a couple scenes, the scars do tend to operate like just the other meatheads uh, yeah. in in the game. So like outside of this scene where they like strike from the shadows and it's like, holy shit, you know ninjas or the the you know men of sherwood forest type thing that's some scary shit and then after that they might as well be like arkham asylum uh guards Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) they're the joker's henchmen just standing around being like all right i'm a big old meathead just standing here in a you know turning 90 degrees uh you know please kill me that's kind of frustrating that like so often these good ideas it doesn't seem like uh, Naughty Dog fully knows how to build extended portions of the game around them. Or it's just hard because there's so many of them, right? This is, this is what was one of my chief issues, even though I love the combat, like, like that opening sequence with, um, the scars is terrifying, 
But if they did that exact same bit, like, 15 times, like, yeah. it wouldn't work. Yeah. It would become less effective each time. And I think in this game, if this game was half the length with half the combat sequences, yep. <laughs> the ones that are there would be even more, like, because you fight the scars in such such uh, less interesting scenarios so many times, yeah. it ends up, like, retroactively, like, uh, hurting that initial sequence because you forget, like, you guys describing it re- reminds me, like, oh, right, like, that was fucking amazing but in my head what's really filled up most of my brain space is like oh they just kind of came out of a out of a yeah yeah like they just kind of floated out of a building and i don't know i shot some arrows at them and you know we moved on like the whistles became just um aesthetic as opposed to like a core mechanical feature of uh, of that enemy type and the moment that like that that was crossed because i'm sure as designers it's like all right so we need to come up with, you know, 25, 30 sequences where you're fighting them. And there's only so many things we can do with layout. And it just, it, cr- it crushes its own interestingness. It crushes the amount of time this person and this team put into the whistling by just sheer volume. Um, and I think that's like a, a, like a core problem I have with a lot of the game. That Literally, if you were just to condense it, I think even what's there, like a lot of the criticisms would still ring true, but wouldn't feel as um, intense because of the, the sh- like the just the sheer length that it's it's extended out to. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Ellie makes her way to the hospital, uh, and clearly, once again, there's a lot of dialogue. The WLF is relocating. Guards are pissed that like they they're basically at this hospital to extract the last supplies they can from it, um, and Ellie is there to find one person in particular from that strike team. Nora. Uh, and there is a long sequence of sneaking through some air ducts uh, after she fights her way inside the hospital or sneaks her way inside the hospital. Uh, along the way, she kills a kid with a PSP because um, the brand is strong in the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, kills a kid with the PSP, finds out where Nora is, confronts Nora. Uh, and here we begin to like have some questions raised about like, well, to what degree is any of this really justified? Nora, when she's confronted by, by Ellie, uh, points out that they spared Ellie's life. Um, you know, shouldn't that shouldn't mm-hmm. that count for something? And Ellie's response is, maybe you shouldn't have, which demonstrably true in this case. Uh, like the <laughs> smart move would have been to kill Ellie and Joel. Uh, Tom, mm-hmm. Tommy. Um, Wouldn't have a game, of course, but yeah. yeah. I mean, Nora would be alive, so... Yeah, uh, so Nora sort of sees the way things are going and bounces. She uh, Yeah, she starts running. Yep, screams for help, and you have a long chase sequence through the hospital where, like, other WLF try to get between you and Nora. Um, I don't know if played if out for me. If you stop running after her, the game will give you a game over, by the way. I don't oh, know really? I tried that, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So if you slow down the deal with the WLF, it's it will It will stop you, and it will take you back and be like, you got to chase Nora. Yeah. So that retroactively cool. make that sequence sequence less impressive. Because for me, I was just organically like, can't deal with you. Like, blam. I tried to like, stop just- chasing her. I, this was the part of the game where I was like, what happens if I don't do anything? Right. And Once- I just, because I started to really come unraveled on this game around the Nora sequence. And uh, it's pretty much downhill for me from here. But yeah, so at a certain point, Nora, so Ellie places Nora into an infected zone like 
This is already killing Nora, or at least causing brain death to Nora by just putting her into this zone. So to me, that was the action that was beyond the pale. Like, of course, later you you beat her to death as well. But in a sense, that's a kindness because Ellie's already shoved her into fungal <laughs> fungal zone. So like Nora's already dead, though, as, as far as her brain's concerned. And uh, it's basically torture. Like Ellie, Ellie's just going ahead and torturing, torturing someone. And they, they give Nora this line where she calls Joel a little bitch who deserved to die. Which, I don't know. I mean, this whole moment, I was like, so cool. This is the first black woman with speaking lines in the game. She's going to call Joel a little bitch, and then we're going to brain her to death. Like, I, I just really... it, it. It's not that the game was making me feel bad, because I know that was the intention. This was just the moment when I started to say, are, are the people who made this game aware of what these images represent? Like, do they know that, that symbols have meanings and like signifiers have meanings and that they're sending me some signals about what's valued in this game and in this society? I'm, I'm not sure that, that they are. I, also, I, I guess I'm perhaps assuming too much here, but it's, it's definitely a choice being made about like which characters get to live and die, you know? Well, at a certain point, it's not just, uh, oh, you rolled the dice and like, this is the character. Like they're, if you look across Naughty Dog's actions across games, right. like you can start to, and you know, there are a lot of chief creatives in, in charge of a lot of these games. That's part of what allows Naughty Dog to do what it does and, and have sort of like this narrative, um, sort of like through line in a lot of their, like kind of the DNA of the, the games they make. So I, I think that that criticism is, is, is well taken, even if. You know, a lot of instances or stories, you can say, well, it was just this one story, right. this one character. It's like, well, Naughty Dog now has a pattern that you could point to that if they're not doing it intentionally, it's like, hey, maybe you should look back at your work and like, why, you know, why are you ending up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and the, like the Nora sequence was indicative of like, no one just has a fucking conversation about what's happening in this. Yes. Game, right. Like, no, like, and it's, and this, go, you know, it's like on one hand, it's uh, Ellie, like having no introspection or the game removing a character that could allow her to have any introspection over her own violence or her own trauma yeah. and her own uh, not reckoning with what she's doing or why she's doing it. Um, but in this sequence, like no one talks about like, why did they kill Joel? Mm-hmm. Like, why like nothing comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, like no character at any point, Abby and. It gets Ellie never have this I know, conversation. I know, it gets increasingly maddening with Abby and Ellie, but we'll we'll get there. It's right, like it's one of those things where I can excuse it with Nora in the moment, right? And this is like why I think the game leaves such a sour taste. The the further you get from it, the the, the farther you get into the game, is because like an in individual moment, you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe this is going to be addressed later. Maybe this isn't you know the moment for this. But like looking back. It's like there was never just if someone had just like shouted her like this is why hey this is why we killed her but, I but think Ellie, Ellie knows she might have still too. been mad like, but like <laughs> might have understood why okay well maybe we need to rethink but like, as it turns out I mean? Patrick Ellie does know exactly why Nora right. did what she right. did and she's still like I'm gonna kill a freaking doctor who is a rare yeah. commodity in this world but I'm going to go ahead and kill her because she is affiliated with this group of people who killed Jill for a reason that you could argue about the morality of it all day and night. But the reason is at least logical. It has a cold right. logic to it. Like we know the reason why they killed Joel or why Abby killed Joel specifically. And Nora 
is not like she's not an innocent per se but it's also like there's a reason to let her live like there's a moral reason to let that character live and it it sort of harkens back to the fact that Joel killed a lot of medical professionals and like that had far-reaching horrific consequences on the world no matter how you slice it even if they weren't going to make the vaccine medical professionals in this version of the world they're a huge commodity and like Ellie has just hunted one down to kill her. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't get past that. Like, I, it really struck me as such a selfish action. And for her to take it only 10 hours into the game and for the game to expect me to be on her side still was really tough for me. I was like, I don't think you, you want her to do this. I feel like you want me to still like her. I'm not supposed to start sympathizing with Abby until, like, way later. But, like, you're not... You're just not landing this for me. Yeah, I think for me, this is where I start to. Um, we keep being shown Ellie transgressing these moral lines, but because it made me realize, like, I don't know that this game, like, at the end of The Last of Us 1, I had a sense of who Ellie was. Yeah. By this point in The Last of Us 2, I'm like, I don't know anything about you. Like, yeah. maybe you don't have moral lines, in which case that should probably be established. But, like, this notion that we've gone from, you know, awkward, introverted teen girl, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with with a core of decency to, all right, now it's just kind of this nihilistic, I'm going to torture this person who I've already killed. Basically killing her twice. Um, you know, at, at that point, I was like, I don't know what this character is all about. Uh, but yeah. either way, now we have a sort of replay of the golf club scene scene uh, playing out where now she's going to torture information out of Nora. Um, And yeah, uh, Maddie, you've alluded to it. I think around this point um, we've gotten two flashbacks that sort of close the loop on uh, where things were at with Ellie's knowledge about what happened. Um, we don't know yet, because I, I remember during the Nora scene, the first time I played the game, I was like, oh, Ellie's going to learn later about the hospital and she's going to look back on this and regret it. Like, I just assumed that was where the plot beats were heading. But then I think in a later scene, there's a flashback to where you, I don't remember where when the flashback is where she and Joel are uh, investigating like an old building together and they have a fight about the yeah. hospital where he doesn't reveal the truth to her yet. But yeah. she's suspicious of him, which I thought was a good scene and interesting. And then again, later, I'm like, what? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> but yeah, that one scene where, where Ellie was still suspicious of Joel and his actions, that seemed like it made sense with her character from the first game. And I was still on board for that scene. Um, all right, let's take a quick break here before we talk about these flashbacks and where things are at with Ellie and Joel. Um, and... Yeah, let's uh, just quickly regroup. And Patrick, are you dropping out at this point? Yeah, I'm going to go deal with in life, uh, baby. (laughs) It's great because we're going to break right around the time where it's like, oh, the version of this game I liked was the Abby. Like that was if it was just the Abby stuff. I enjoyed that. Like you just chopped it off. You should come back. Got rid of the Joel stuff. Back in the show. Go deal with the baby. I'll get I'll. I'll call my wife. I'll uh, you know I'll loop her in. Uh, no, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go. I I, I like this. I'll just say real quickly. I liked the second half of the game, and I, it, as we discussed earlier, like if you chopped it up, I was I kept imagining like, oh, there's a version of this that, works. that just dispatched with Ellie and just said, cool, we're done with that story. Like let let it 
didn't need to actually see what those characters did next and that there was a way of expanding the world of Abby and and that that was like an interesting part of the world building and also like her arc is like a you know whatever however you f- you know think about her morally or ethically like i think it's at least a little more interesting there's more to 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 uh kind of wrestle with um and so I don't know. I like that part. Of it. And mechanically, she was just more fun to play. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I, I liked that the, the game just threw you into like, whereas with uh, with Ellie, it was a lot of like stealth action, stealth action. Um, and it wasn't that dynamic wasn't always satisfying, but mostly satisfying. Whereas with uh, Abby, I constantly was just like, I'm just going in loud. Like, let's fucking go. I'm ready to just mow down everyone in front of me. And she was just like a much more the tools she had as a character were mechanically more fun. Maybe because I played a whole game of Last of Us as Ellie and it didn't really change all that much of the sequel, even though it had been six years. Mm-hmm. And Abby, although pretty similar, was different enough that I then wished, oh, geez, I wish they'd actually gone further to create just like a different sort of like gameplay paradigm um, that you had um, with the, the characters that you were playing. So anyway, that's, yeah, that's my that's my take on The Last of Us. I'll try to jump back in, but my... I'm gonna I'm gonna pour cold water on my ability to to probably do that. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, well, let's uh, take a quick break and we'll be back to discuss that final set of flashbacks uh, and get into the Abby stuff. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Okay, so, Maddie, as you alluded to, uh, they keep they keep parceling out little bits of information about the evolution of Ellie and Joel's relationship. Now, here's what I would say. I don't think this game, even by the end, has told us anything that we couldn't have basically inferred from the opening sequence in Jackson where we learn like there's tension between Ellie and Joel, but also that they were planning on movie nights and like there was a reconciliation also in progress. I think we all basically could have filled in all the blanks pretty satisfyingly. It is the flashbacks themselves that begin introducing worse questions about like what is actually going on here. First, we have a sequence where it shows Ellie and Joel out on patrol, uh, having sort of their last combat adventure, uh, mm-hmm. going through like a you know tourist town resort hotel, and uh, along the way they discover two kids who ran away from Jackson to go basically try to become like do-gooders in the world. And always gets punished in this world. Yeah, uh, not a good idea. Yeah. Two, yeah, two kids are like, why should we be safe and secure behind Jackson's walls when the world beyond suffers? Yeah. And they make it like 15 minutes out of Jackson, get bitten by zombies uh, and turned. When they come across this scene, Ellie once again 
revisits those doubts she had about like what Joel has told her. Um, right. Cause she has this, this guilt now of like, is all of this maybe somehow on me? Like I was supposed to help bring about a cure and yeah. yet people are still basically uh, the living dead the minute they are bitten. Um, mm-hmm. And couldn't something have been done differently? And we get a dark scene with Joel, and I like this. I think this is like this is probably the note um, that would have explained a lot for why there's tension in their relationship. Joel yeah, I agree. gets like if they ugly. left it here, yeah, yeah. Like the I have had versions of this conversation, uh, you know, with with people at their worst moments where they pull the like, "Do you really want to do this now? Do you really want to have this conversation?" And it is a really aggressive way to try to duck out of having a conversation that you probably don't want to have. And Joel mm-hmm. instead gets in her face, like, go ahead and call me a liar. But he absolutely is he's a liar. Lying. He, yeah. He's just <laughs> gaslighting the shit out of Ellie, where he's like, how dare you ask me about this again? This uh-huh. this transparent lie I told you <laughs> years, like two years ago. How dare yeah. you question me about it? It worked for me, though. Like, the scene felt oh, yeah. real to me. Like, I thought it was a well-written scene. And I was like, I feel like this is sort of explaining some of Ellie's behavior. Not as much as I would like, still hated the Nora scene. But I was at least like, this works for me. This makes sense with what I know of Ellie. She would be haunted by this. Every time she sees a zombie, she should be haunted by it because there's it's this unanswerable question in her life that, in my view of her character, it should be what's driving her and haunting her every move. But this game, it doesn't seem to see Ellie in the way that I do, and I just have to accept that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other cutscene we get, and I think this comes after, I think this comes after Nora. Uh, is the scene where she goes back to the hospital mm-hmm. and like investigates the scene, finds uh, a a letter where someone is like, gee, guys, I don't know why we're disbanding the fireflies and tearing down this hospital, even though that crazy Joel guy killed everyone and the doctor and then took away the girl. Uh, he basically finds <laughs> a, she finds a note that describes the end of The Last of Summarizes Us. Summarizes the first yeah. The Last of Us. Yeah. And then she's like, hey, fucker. Don't lie to me anymore. Tell me the truth. Yeah. And he was like, but you're my, you're my baby girl. Uh-huh. And she's, and she, she basically says like, fuck you. Uh, we're done. Like I will go back to Jackson with you, but we are quits. And that is like, it's broken. Like you lied to me and you took this thing away from me. And that also would have worked for me as a place to leave it. Mm-hmm. I did Mm -hmm. find it a little odd that before she convinces him to tell her the truth, she's like, I'll still stay with you if you just tell me the truth. She sort of sets up this weird, like, damsel situation where she's like, I'll still be your baby girl. I just want you to tell me the truth, surrogate dad. Here's my defense. Here's what I do like about that. I think it is a move played by someone who recognizes that they are in a fucked up codependent relationship. And it's largely on one side to an extent, right? Where to get him to be honest, she has to first remove the threat of, hey, if you tell me the truth, I will disappear forever. And that is the only way she's going to get the story. Now, whether she should have felt obligated to go, I don't know. But that also is part of my disappointment with the game because there is like a dark, sinister version of Ellie that's kind of relieved Joel dies and is like, I'm free of him. 
and yes. feels weird about that. And I'm like, I want to see that sentiment expressed somewhere in here, as opposed to just the pure, undiluted, unquestioning love of this man that she had a terrible relationship with and a controlling relationship with. And there were great moments, but there were also some pretty notable times when Joel made decisions for her, didn't tell her everything that was going on. I mean, their relationship starts with him treating her as an object, and she functionally is an object in the first game. She is representative of hope and is, I mean, these are all the issues I had with the first game, was that she was not a fully, wasn't treated by the story itself as a character and, like, became a character despite that, became a human despite that. And it's why I was so excited to be in her shoes this time around. And, like, I was like, great, she can't be an object this time because the game is going to be about her. But she is an object, and it's a gun that is aimed at anyone who hurt Joel. And it's like, why... Why was this the only conception that you had of how this character might react as opposed to like the series of other nuanced reactions that I feel like any person, but especially Ellie, based on what we know of her, would have had to the situation that she's in with Joel and his death? Yeah, I I think the moment you realize that she was in no suspense about what actually happened, uh, which like I could have hung with it if she on some level still had that doubt but had never been resolved and that was sort mm-hmm. of a simmering tension i would have like been with that that would have been cool yeah yeah or if it had ended here where to your point like maybe there was relief that he was gone or maybe they had this huge rift and then she never got a chance to say the other thing she felt where like right, the last right. their relationship ended with her still being like i reject you as a father i reject the choice you made and then here mm-hmm. at the end of the game she's sort of confronted with the fact that like or the middle of the game, she's confronted with the fact that like she still loved this guy, um, and she's actually kind of glad she's alive. She's met someone. She like this is the other part of it, right? Is there's this survivor's right. guilt. The guilt, but she is starting yeah. to see like being alive in this world could be okay for me, even if mm-hmm. it's bad for other people. It's still like yeah, my life is, is still worth rough. something. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, this is all fascinating stuff to explore that I think by the end of this, we'll we'll have sort of walked back. Um, (laughs) So the next sequence after the Nora stuff is this sort of long odyssey to the aquarium uh, where where Abby uh, is supposedly holed up. I'm not sure there's a lot to talk about uh, through the journey there. Like it's Seattle begins to flood. She got to get a boat. Um, mm-hmm. there's an excellent cat over your, over your shoulder. Um, Maddie, I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah. My cat's is, that, is it a tuxedo rounds. cat? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <sighs> Hell yeah. Love a tuxedo. Warren Worthington, <laughs> my cat, everybody, except not everybody because no one can see him, but he's here. Um, so it's a dramatic sequence in terms of like this biblical flood tearing through Seattle, the, the concrete chasms turning into these like sluices uh, out Mm -hmm. to the sound. The, when she tries to take her shitty little Zodiac out to um, the aquarium is pretty harrowing, like sailing through that storm. Uh, And yeah, if there's nothing we want to get to, we might as well talk through real fast. What happens when she gets the aquarium, which is, yeah, let's do it. Kills a dog. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Emmanuel, how would you describe what what plays out? Because I because I think this is one of those things. Does she murder people at the aquarium, or does she act in self defense? What what happens in the aquarium? Uh, I think she goes, and the game does this a few times, 
where it's like she she goes in there obviously the entire game is about her intention to kill these people but in the moment that the act is done it's like it's presented as self-defense it's like she had no choice in the moment she chose to get in the room that was her intent the entire time but it's like why did she write that second kill mel who is uh pregnant it's because mel came at her with a knife first is is how the game presents it right yeah and she didn't know mel was pregnant so right question mark <laughs> right that's sort of the reveal when she unzips the jacket and it's like oh no yeah. um mm-hmm. i can i can see you're a person now because the person i care about is also pregnant right. um Again, like this is not a sophisticated moral universe <laughs> for being for being honest. Um, but yeah, I, I I think I'm with you, Emmanuel, where it's like she sets up the situation. It's sort of the Ender's Game thing, right? Where like Ender's Game, Ender does all these horrible things throughout this book, but in each one, it was out of his hands, right? Like he was sort of forced into the situation, and then he just operates on instinct because he's been like this bored and bred and killing machine. Uh, and we see a version of that happen here where Ellie's like, tell me where the fuck Abby is. I won't hurt you, even though I just killed this dog and I'm here and, like, got a gun in your face. Like, yep. nothing, like, I will let you go if you just tell me where Abby is. Yes, I've killed all your other friends. Just tell me where Abby is. Yep. And Mel is like, fuck it. Like, fuck Abby. Abby, Abby has this coming, uh, much as to a degree, Joel had this coming. Like, this is all coming back around. Owen is like, I'm going to try to be a hero. And uh, tries to defend uh, both Abby and himself and Mel. He gets killed. And then, yeah, uh, in the process of trying to stop Ellie from uh, killing Owen uh, and then killing her, Mel uh, goes, at, goes at Ellie and ends up with a knife in her neck. Uh, and pretty horrifically, like, bleeds out, um, you know, in front of Ellie. And Ellie, like, has a moment of horror at what she's done. Mm-hmm. Jesse and Tommy show up immediately after. Very, again, like, kind of convenient storytelling. Like, these. Very convenient. Yeah, they've yeah, been off by themselves. There's another coincidence here. <laughs> yeah. Here they are. Uh, well, Jesse Ellie's knew where out. she was going, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they knew. Um, but they didn't show the up timing. in time. In time. Yeah. yeah, the timing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because because in the in all of this, Tommy's had time to go get in a gun battle with uh, with Abby and uh, Manny, and then get thrown into Puget Sound, and mm-hmm. then get rescued by Jesse, and then track down Elliot the aquarium, which we know is kind of a tough place to reach. Nevertheless, they walk in immediately and they haul her out of there because she's freaking out at the uh horrible thing she's done sadly mm-hmm. they, they do immediately not tell her she's right and she's and they're like there's no moral quandary here we should have killed these people they deserve to die they immediately are there to console ellie about how she's feeling i sound um, that odd but i guess it's what you do in that situation i mean you know spill milk uh, yeah <laughs> i'd like 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 Maddie, if I came across you having killed a mortal enemy, but it turns mm-hmm. out they were like also a they were kids and like starting a family themselves, but like they were already dead, I wouldn't be like, "Boy, you really fucked up, Maddie." I would be like, "Hey, that could have happened to at anyone. Least not at first, anyone right? could have done that." <laughs> Eventually, Thanks, you might Rob. get there. Thanks but... for being there for me. <laughs> yeah, cool. 
we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just get out of here. You ever kill somebody and then you find out they're pregnant and you're like, oh, whoopsie. And it's Ooh, like really that seems, Feels icky. Feels icky. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a little bit more icky than it would have been if you just regular killed somebody. Yeah. Uh, so sadly, Ellie leaves the map that she's been using for her rampage yeah. for the last three days, annotated with the list of names of people she's killed and their and where safe, she'll their, be. Uh, their safe house that they, they're yeah. set up in. Um, and then she, she goes back to the theater, but she's had enough. Tommy's had enough. Everyone's like, we killed a lot of people. Like we didn't kill Abby, but we killed a lot mm-hmm. of people. And like, this is all starting to feel bad. Let's get out of here. Uh, and then, bam, Abby shows up. Let's go to uh, Abby's story at this point. Uh, this is where the perspective sort of jumps. And we go back to the same day, day that one. Ellie arrives in Seattle. We start with Abby. Uh, and she is waking up in the WLF camp at CenturyLink Field. Uh, where the Seahawks play and it has been turned into a military base and all the team facilities are like training facilities. They've got uh, dog kennels in the sidelines. I think they're growing crops in the, uh, in the field itself. So the stadium has been turned into this uh, like main barracks uh, slash like small sustainable farm type operation. And uh yeah, so we get a pretty cool, like, Naughty Dog are very good at this, sort of a walk through this huge environment that tells a ton of a ton of stories about, like, who these people are. Uh, they are basically just a militarist faction. Uh, you know, it, it seems like even the children who are being cared for uh, in this facility, they're, f- they're future soldiers. Like, this mm-hmm. is... Can this it, is a note a, about that? Pardon? Yeah, it's can I a, a note about that cuz you called it like a military base. Yeah. And the, the way I read it is that it you're like I see why why you think that but it's like to me that was like later on we go to a, or there's actually two forward operating bases. There's yeah. the hotel which is like a clearly like forward military base and then I think when we meet Isaac that's also I don't think that's a hotel. I think it's a different location and that's also a military base. But the arena is home. Like the arena is kind of like this nurturing, lush, productive space where there are more women and children. Um, There's the crops. You get to see the dogs, not as weapons, but as companions. Mm -hmm. Um, You get the first of many dog playing mini games here. Right. But, But to your point, the two are inseparable. It's like it's a military society, right? It's like. They exist like the, the the way the game presents it is they exist because of the militant nature of it and 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 the militant nature of it dictates the way they live uh sort of peacefully behind these walls of the arena yeah yeah they um and I think the game does a good job of because this is being told from Abby's perspective it seems really normal in some ways, right? Like Manny's her roommate. They're shooting the shit. Like he is. Okay. Quick thing about Manny real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like, I like Manny as a character. It's a good performance. He is a fun companion character. Um, also in the opening of this and then basically throughout. Boy, is he a macho Latin lover stereotype? 
Yep. Uh, yep. Pretty like, much. Like literally, enough. all uh, his exchanges uh. with Abby at the start of this chapter are basically like, oh, "Don't tell me you banged her," and he's like, yeah. "Ah, gentleman never <laughs> tells," but I did. And like he and Abby was sexiled the night before uh, yep. because he also had someone up. And, mm-hmm. it is, and she like finds the bra hanging on something, and there, there's all this uh, yeah. mise en scène with Manny's <sighs> sexy, sexy but times. The other thing, and this is the other, the other part of it that's weird to me. Um, so Manny is also very clearly like he is a uh, Latinx dude, and mm-hmm. he's got uh, you know an, an accent. But the thing is, accents come from places in general. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, like people, if you have an accent, it tends to be because there's a community. Yep. Um, the thing that bothers me a little bit about Manny is that he's young enough to be born well after uh, hmm. the apocalypse hit. But the accent implies something that the rest of the game has never let me see, which is yeah. where do people who aren't white Texans... Or like you know, Great Plains Midwestern Americans, white or, you know, or or militarists, yeah. or like ex-military, like paramilitary forces. Like mm-hmm. I kind of look at this, and I'm like, I would love Manny as a character, maybe if I had a sense of, oh, here's where space was left in the world of The Last of Us for Manny to come from. I don't know uh, that that just the fact he's kind of a stereotyped character to begin with. Uh, and then the fact he's stereotyped in ways that like imply things about the world that nothing in The Last of Us has ever really given me a hint exists in a mm-hmm. meaningful way. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, ca- like, I struggled Kyle, with this... this a lot too. Yeah. Did you catch that yeah. they allude to the fact that he is from Mexico? Like, did you? Was that clear? Did you? No, yeah, they, no. So he's yeah, from a Mexi- he's from like a Mexican survivalist camp. That I think that's what they I think that's what they suggest. Yes, because because at some point they say like, oh, we'll take a road trip and we'll we'll stop in a town in Mexico where Manny is from or something like that. Okay, right. Just saying, he's yeah. They, they, there's like they say where he's from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 nah, I mean he's still. It's still a kind of walking stereotype, which, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't the only time that and this is the only way which and we'll hit on that bullet points essay by Yusuf Cole soon. Right. Uh, where like race in this world is very not handled well, you know, and like mostly try yeah. like they mostly try to ignore it, except for when they need a stereotype, I guess, in Manny, um, you know, yeah. the, the, the other people of color of note, Nora and Isaac. Uh, also... And Lev and Yara. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was thinking on the first, in the first half, for most, or like, right, wait, right. Isaac, we meet Isaac in the second half. Um, yeah. I, um, that like, it's just, um, yeah, sorry. We'll get to that article anyways. But yeah, yeah. Manny specifically, it's like doing that thing where, uh, you know, and like, I understand where this comes from, the the Spanglish, the like mixing in phrases back and forth, especially if you grow up uh, learning uh, one language and then like learn English as your second language, you will sometimes slip back and forth in certain ways, but it's never felt natural the way any uh, uh, 
of these stereotypes end up like playing out. Um, uh, and this is just another one of those poor examples of like, yeah, that's, that's definitely what you do. You just sprinkle it in. It's, it's, uh, it's actually more nuanced than that and more like about, uh, the way certain turns of phrases don't translate. And that's kind of the issue always is that whatever they're saying, it has a translation in English. Like there would be no need to use that idiom when this English idiom means the same thing. You know, it's right. that, that sort of nuance. You never see like, characters stop dead trying. in their tracks and be like, uh, okay, uh I don't know. and, and, then, just and then, like then they say the Spanish phrase, phrase, right? Like that's how that happens. <laughs> it's, it's not that it's the, like I'm mixing it in because that's how, you know, I'm, uh, Hispanic or Latinx. Yeah, <laughs> and that and that and the fact he's banged every woman uh-huh. in the WLF camp because he's just irresistible. Yep. Like, and which to be fair, like God. I mean, the magnetism of Latino men is undeniable. <laughs> um, you know that is uh, that's certainly been God my experience. Um, <laughs> but what what can I say? Uh, no, I, I I do think it's just it's a little bit like okay, so Manny's gonna check a lot of these boxes, and he's also mm-hmm. gonna be a really cool companion. Like I enjoy Manny a lot as a dude to go adventuring right. with, uh, mm. but yeah, uh, it's yet another another place where like I'm not entirely sure the representative politics of The Last of Us are in the best hands or under the best control. Um, so Manny's had a brilliant idea. We we all know we've all had a Manny in our lives at some point. <laughs> Manny's had the idea that there is some tension between Abby and Mel. And so he's arranged for them to go on a forward deployment, but it should be safe. Like it's from like basically their their home base to like a really secure forward operating base, but like it's still it's still under firm control. But he's got an idea. We are gonna squelch this beef. By going out together as a squad. Manny doesn't know why there's this beef, but he just senses there's some tension. So without consulting either Mel or Abby, he's arranged to take them both out on this patrol. um, And it's going to go great. And no sooner have they signed out of uh, the WLF camp. um, And it is very much like uh, occupying army type stuff. Like, they're issued weapons at the gate. Uh, they yeah. sign out their weapons and ammo. They sign out their vehicle. Um, the expectation is like all this stuff is tracked and accounted for. Um, mm-hmm. They're leaving, uh, you know, the safe zone. And now they are going out where there's an expectation of combat. And they start on their journey to this uh, base where, where, where their CEO is gathering uh, troops. And they make it, oh, a good 100 yards outside the wire. Um, and they're immediately ambushed by mm-hmm. cavalry um, and are sort of chased through uh, chased through the uh, streets of Seattle and eventually like cornered uh, and they sort of have to fend for themselves. But um, it's against Seraphites, right? And isn't, yeah. isn't this yeah. where we start getting some of the first dialogue that sets up the conflict, the long running, although I don't know how long it could be because the zombie apocalypse only happened a few decades prior, but it's so long. No one can scarcely remember how it began. And uh, there's this there's a couple anecdotes they give us. They give us one about some kids 
who got into some type of trouble and there's a little bit of an argument about like, well, they attacked us first and then we were just retaliating, but then those kids were told to do that and, and so on and so forth. And um, I, I know uh, Neil Druckmann and Hallie Gross have spoken in interviews a lot about how much this game was influenced by Neil growing up on the West Bank and how these two factions were very specifically influenced by that experience on his part. And this is around in the game when I was starting to see some of the bones of that and be like, okay, uh, you're giving me two warring factions. I'm, I'm supposed to take some type of, of message from this. Emmanuel, this kind of jumped off the screen at you, right? Like, uh, as far as the, the, the subtext here. Weirdly, when I was playing it, um, I was like, oh, obviously, like, this is what's happening here. But I was kind of like letting it wash over me. And it wasn't until Rob and I talked about the idyllic uh, farm at the end and yeah. why Rob was having issues with that. And specifically, and I don't even think this is like an intentional reference, but there's like this very sweet moment with the sheep at the farm. And I just like remember uh, uh, Ariel Sharon, who was like a prime minister of Israel and like a very right wing, very uh, pro settlement occupation prime minister. Uh, he was like one of the ways that his image was sort of like spruced up and made like, oh, he's just like a kindly old man is that he had sheep and he tended to his sheep. And there's like, many pictures of him carrying sheep over his shoulder. And I was like, suddenly I was like, oh man, this is really like similar in that way. And then I was just like, replaying the entire game in my head and I was like oh this isn't just inspired there is like direct references and the point of view I think is not like I wouldn't say neutral because it's like that's impossible but it is solidly like an Israeli perspective on that conflict and I say that based on well, the fact that Neil is from the West Bank, um, things that he has said, and then direct references in the game. Uh, you just uh, mentioned a conversation that the characters have about um, these kids who were like uh, executed uh, by the Seraphites. We don't really understand the, the situation, how that happened. And then that spurred some retaliation uh, from the wolves. And, like, that seems to be what, like, broke the truce that, like, we're witnessing when we, when we enter this story. And, like, that specific incident with the kids, for example, it's, like, that can apply to, like, several incidents that did happen in the West Bank. So it's, like, that. that's just, like, something that I later looked back on. And I was, like, oh, man, it's, like... I think that his perspective is really coming through. And that is like with the caveat that it's like, like we said, hundreds of people working on this game, several creative leads. But uh, I think if you look at the end product, it's like that stuff is really in there in a way that is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they've also directly <laughs> said, I mean, I, I interviewed Hallie Gross for Polygon and she told me that the game's factions were inspired by Neil's experiences growing up on the West bank. And that's, that's been pretty clear in the interviews. I don't, I don't know that it entirely works to cleanly map those factions onto the, the two sides. I mean, I've sort of alluded to it already in my previous comment, but 
the difference in conflict for Israel and Palestine is, is that that conflict has been going on for an exceedingly long time and it's very complicated and it's further complicated by like Western imperialism and colonialist influences and so on and so forth. Whereas this conflict in this game has only been going on for a few decades, which to me really changes the gravitational pull of the kind of story that you can tell or the kind of commentary that you can make. It's almost like you're uh, setting up to bat, but your bat is made out of really crappy wood and you're still trying to hit a real slugger on uh, commenting on the Israeli-Palestine conflict. But then I, so, so in some ways I, I can't even be that mad that the game falls down when it comes to this, but I, I just, it's, it's a little disappointing to me that this sort of warring factions is more of a background illustration in the game. It's more just, um, scene setting as opposed to something that the characters seem willing to truly navigate or something that impacts their lives in a, it does impact their lives in terms of the background violence of their lives and the amount of murders they just have to commit in order to uh, traverse the country and get supplies, but it doesn't, the, the game doesn't quite seem willing to navigate the, uh, sociopolitical ramifications of like, okay, we've got a cult, a queer phobic gender essentialist cult is, is one side of this divide. What does that really mean? How did that cult develop these views? And what does that say exactly? And that's part of why I would be so hesitant to map that on to a real world conflict, because if we were to say, for example, that the WLF represents Israel and that the Seraphites represent uh, Palestine, it's it's really disturbing. And I don't I don't think the game is saying that I've seen people on Twitter make that leap, though. And I think like the fact that other people are making that leap is another reason why I don't know that this game is fully succeeding at what it's trying to do because it's so muddied in, in what it actually wants to say. Like it's, it's almost as though Neil Druckmann and Hallie Gross knew they didn't want to do a both sides thing, but they weren't sure what to do. That wasn't that. And so instead they're presenting a bunch of signifiers and a bunch of images that, that harken back to real conflicts we know about and real bigotries that we know about and that are scary to us, but then they, they don't know what to do next. I mean, I think so. No, I don't think they're trying to like animal farm the history of Israel yeah. post 1947. And like all of this is just a microcosm. But I do think like the degree to which this series, it turns out, has been like um, inspired by really specific experiences that derive from the uh conflict between Israel and Palestine is a little bit concerning then for some of the way we see this handled. I mean, uh, so on the last of us podcast, um, Druckmann sort of describes at length that like the conceit for the decision Joel makes at the end of the original game isn't, uh, isn't based on the hypothetical, like, would you save, would you sacrifice your child to save the world? It's actually something more specific. It maps to prisoner swaps with uh, Hamas in mm -hmm. like the last 20 years. And at that point, we're, we are talking about like, this is a game whose vision of the apocalypse is informed by the crises that defined Israeli politics at a time when Israel began to hurtle toward the right wing uh, mm -hmm. and begin making the grounds for long-term peace effectively impossible. 
Um, and the fact that this game sort of takes that as its point of origin, but not necessarily to critique it, but to instead say, yeah, what if that were literally true? What if saving your child versus saving the world is exactly like releasing political prisoners uh, back to the Palestinians? That's an odd parallel to draw. Uh, and then to see it sort of expanded further in the second game in the ways in which it's drawn does begin to uh, feel a little bit, a little bit weird to me uh, in terms of like full, like full disclosure in, in general, like I think I, I look at sort of the arc of Israeli politics over my lifetime and it's pretty painful and bleak uh, in terms of how it's unfolded and how much farther away a Peace, a peace or some sort of just settlement seems now uh, from where it was when I was a kid. And even that would have involved a lot of compromises uh, on the part of Palestinians. And seeing how a politics of perpetual um, siege mentality has justified all manner of crimes and abuses against Palestinians and Palestinian sovereignty um, this has been sort of one of the animating arcs of politics throughout my lifetime. And to then see this crop up in The Last of Us in this sense of, ah, who can say these two, these two houses, both alike in dignity, uh, but also mm -hmm. really profoundly different, just no way we can get to, get to the bottom of this conflict. Um, it's just a tragedy. These two sides have to fight each other to extermination. I think that's a really strange like if that is inspired by israeli politics i'm not sure that is entirely just to the facts uh that that we've seen maddie to to your point um i think it is really telling that the wolves get a pretty fleshed out history and origin story mm -hmm. we understand where they came from what their leadership is, what their grievances are, why they did the horrible things they did seemingly out of necessity, etc. We do not get that for the scars. We 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 don't understand where 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 they come from. You also asked or you mentioned that it's like it's not clear how long they've been around. Mm -hmm. I'm playing the game again now and like one of the notes you find from um the kind of commanding officer for Fedra in Seattle when he abandons his post, when he's essentially writing to Central Command saying, like, we lost the city. He's like, the Wolves have won. Um, let's see how they deal with this problem of feeding and sheltering these people. And also, what are they going to do about those religious fanatics? Which is another way, it, it like, it, it's like a very, to me, seems like a very uh, clear parallel to, to Israeli history, where it's like, Israel had to or they they felt that they had to by violent means kind of kick out the british and in doing so inherited what some in israeli society would consider a a a, a, a religious fanatic sect that like they don't know what to do with right right it's like so that's another way um that there's a parallel rob to can, can we get into this other neil quote that yeah, can can you so, so 
rather um, infamously, Druckmann made the comment that part of The Last of Us was inspired by a video of a lynching he saw when he was young. Um, but I didn't realize the specifics of that. Uh, like, I mean, you'll let me read this quote, or do you want to just explain first what the context for the quote is? Um, so I, I'll just say that the quote is from the Washington Post, and uh, Druckmann is sort of explaining why or like where the inspiration to make a game about the themes of revenge and cycles of violence comes from. And he's specifically referring to an incident in the year 2000 when uh, these two Israeli soldiers on their way to like uh, an outpost where they were supposed to to be, they took a wrong turn. They ended up uh, detained by like Palestinian authority police and they were eventually killed by a mob. And it's something that was captured on video. It's like this really horrific violent video that was you know she was on the news people saw it and at this point uh neil says that he is 20 he's already living in the states i think it's also important to note because it's like a lot has happened since he left he left in 89 um mm-hmm. but it's like he's in the states at that point he's 20 years old and he said he saw the video and rob if he could read the quote of yep. like his reaction to the video uh it was the cheering that was really chilling to me in my mind i thought Oh, man, if I could just push a button and kill all these people that committed this horrible act, I would make them feel the same pain that they inflicted on these people, Druckmann told the Post. Yeah, they felt gross and silly for feeling that way uh, and that he wanted to explore this tension in The Last of Us Part Two. I landed on this emotional idea of can we, over the course of the game, make you feel this intense hate that is universal in the same way that unconditional love is universal, Druckmann told the Post. This hate that people feel has the same kind of universality. You hate someone so much that you want them to suffer in the way they've made someone you love suffer. Yeah. Okay. I think this so, is a good sum up of uh, why I didn't connect to this game. This is exactly the thing. So we've spent a lot of time discussing, like, why. It's like, why do we have no choice but to um, torture Nora? Mm-hmm. Why does Abby have no choice but to kill Joel? Why does Ellie have no choice but to pursue this completely bananas journey of impractical, unsafe, mm-hmm. bad all ideas. All of her so, friends get killed. All of Adam's yeah, friends get killed. Very, very bad. And it seems like one of the reasons we're struggling with this is because, like, the lead creative of this game is starting from the position of, like, hey, don't we all understand this universal feeling of hate and my yeah. reaction to that is like no, no i have no idea what you're talking about dude Same. it's like it's like i have and I'll, this is where i'll kind of like uh put my cards on the table it's like i also grew up in israel and it's like i lived there for way longer i lived there for 20 years and i remember that video and i lived in israel when when that video like happened when this incident happened and it's like i saw it and it's horrific but at no point my immediate reaction was like how do we find these people and kill them? You know what I mean? It's like, and I understand that it's like, what he's saying is that was a bad feeling, and I am I am struggling with this. I I'm 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 working out these feelings in this game, um, and and that's commendable in a way. And I think there's like there's uh, there's many uh, um, things that the game expresses that I think are important and valuable, but the 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 point where he starts is where the disconnect is. Because no. that yeah. that is not my my initial reaction, and I I, I reject the notion of like univer- universal hate. I don't think that uh, 
everyone can connect to this feeling. That is that is something that you're feeling. And I, I would be more interested in like exploring why, why do you feel that way? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, where, where is that coming from? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I my other concern about it, and I mean, we we could really just not even talk about the rest of the game at this point and just deep dive on this. But my other feeling was, if a game is going to be about violence and like people who inspire you to fight back, and you put in this queer phobic, like gender essentialist cult in which a character, a trans man is forced to be a child bride, which is basically like uh, sexual it's not trafficking, but it's like forced sex essentially. And like you're presenting this horrifying, like anti-queer bigoted viewpoint that this cult has. And you're showing that to us and you understand why Lev would want to escape this situation, but you aren't willing to navigate the idea of violence being justified in certain situations and like how difficult that would be. Like at this point, my politics, I'm a pacifist, except in self-defense. And that includes a structural power that is trying to kill you, especially like hate crimes, for example, like you need to fight back in that situation. And this game, it, it, it's almost like it doesn't want to look directly at the idea of that because it wants to be a criticism of this um, like almost road rage style of anger where it's like, oh, you know that feeling you get when you're really mad at someone and then you cool off later and you realize you were wrong. But what if you cool off later and you realize you were right and that person's trying to kill you, not for any good personal reason, just for a bigoted reason. And the game can't, it can't get there because instead every person in this game, or at least the characters of focus have very interpersonal reasons for wanting to kill each other. And we're willing to accept those as petty and meaningless by the end and be like, okay, yeah, violence can be petty and meaningless. And like, that was so silly that like Abby and Ellie got a real case of road rage there and all their friends died. But like, it doesn't, it can't navigate the reality of what a cycle of violence is, which is what if a system is trying to kill you? What if a bigoted person is trying to kill you not personally, but because of who you are. And that, in, to, in those situations, to me and my personal politics, violence is justified. And I was like, so ready for this game to go there. Like you have a queer heroine, you have queer characters in Lev and Dina, and like you're you're showing me this this version of the world where like bigotry exists and like somehow bigotry continues even after the apocalypse and this cult rises up and like embraces these viewpoints that like, are extreme versions of many organized religions that have been used to oppress people in the past. And like, okay, I'm with you on all of that. But then it's like, it's cowardly to me that it won't navigate that. It won't really look directly at what that would mean for its queer characters and how scary that would be. And like the fact that to me, they deserve to fight back, but that's not what the game's about. Like it, it puts this cult in here and like to map that cult onto Islam is disgusting to me first of all so that's part of why i'm like almost not even willing to make that comparison because i i just don't want to believe the game is doing that even though that is what every single sign in the game points towards as emmanuel already laid out it's like very clear that the the wlf has uh, connections with israel's political history but like it's just so horrifying to me that the seraphites would be islam that i'm like just fuck this honestly like i can't that's that's anathema to me um yeah, I, I think it's it's a poor political parallel, but I also like to a degree it also feels like it is. Yeah, reducing everything to road rage, I think, in some ways, th this is why this game ends up being less interesting than it, it wants to be, because yes. like road rage fades. 
Like, yeah. even if, even if you feel that surge of like nationalist anger, right? Like, I'm trying to think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that bullshit story about like, oh, uh, you know, Pete, like Muslims on 9 11 were were cheering, uh, right? Or like I, the story like, Adam Driver told about why he enlisted after 9 11 because he was so angry about 9 11. That's like a famous story he's told. Yeah, but it's it's just kind of like all like, but but that stuff. First of all, a lot of times that stuff is bullshit in the moment. Uh, but second of all, it just it fades, right? Like especially if, um, and when we come to the nationalist politics, both of like Israel and the United States, one of the things that it is incumbent on you to recognize is that like you are the great power, you have the power, and you have the capacity, and you don't get to like rage out because you have like first of all, you have the power to control and break this cycle of violence more than anybody else. Here, here's the thing, the the. I think, and it's complicated because, again, I think there is a lot of truth in the game, just like emotionally. Um, I think it's coming from an authentic place. But the more I think about it, I'm like, cycle of violence, probably like a poor idea to use to figure out anything in the world, right? Because it's like uh, the United States and Afghanistan are not trapped in a cycle of violence. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like we are deliberately choosing to engage in a thing that we should probably not be engaged in. And I would mm-hmm. say the same thing a- a applies to Israel. It's true that there is like retaliations and escalations and like people's personal lives are caught up in this in terrible ways and they they feel angry and sad, but it's like it is not two equal powers who are trapped in a cycle, right? Yeah. It's like it's 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 more complicated to, than that. And I think it's like but that perspective, I think, is kind of like um, a Western perspective that people use, especially centrist people use, to justify like uh, all our uh, longest running conflicts. It's right? the, it's it's the like, passive voiceification of world events. And, right? it's, and, and it's the both sidesism, right? Yeah. It's, yes. like, it's like, I, I don't think that they like. Maddie, I don't. You said you don't think they they wanted to land there, but it's like to me, it's like that is exactly where they landed, and that that, that is a is is a is a big problem, and it's like yeah, and and to yeah. Part I'll, of why I don't there. think it lands there is because the sides are unequal as presented. Like you have the Seraphites, and you never get to know them because I, it's almost as though the designers know that if you get to know them becomes horrifying and it's also like do we want to get to know these explicitly bigoted characters who like hate this character because he's trans like it it really would alter the narrative of the game if we were exploring that it would be a very different game and it could be a very good game but it's just not the story that this game is willing to tell but then as a result of that i'm like what is what are you trying to say then? Is this just scene setting? And if so, what is that scene setting actually offering other than merely a lens through which a queer character can suffer, but without it actually commenting on that suffering other than to say this is horrible and it exists. And like that's back to like the cycle of violence theme again, which is like okay, the cycle of violence exists. That's it. We're not going to look at the different power differentials in that cycle. We're not going to look at the actual different circumstances of the individual people that we've gotten to know and how they might each feel very differently about the violence that they're being quote unquote forced to enact and what that means for them. Like I'm so here for a game that would want to do that and I'm so ready for it. And I thought that was what this game was going to do. And it just repeatedly whiffs it. 
So what do you think? Sorry, go ahead. No, I was I was just going to say um, there's another note here, which is that none of Abby and her friends are. This is not their fight. This is the other thing. They are ex Fireflies. They are right. basically cell swords who showed up and joined the WLF because it was the most like being a firefly. They got to continue being like paramilitaries with some kind of cause, but on a crucial level, they. At least Abby has not drunk the Kool-Aid. Like, mm-hmm. like she's part of the WLF because it's her job, and she's in that camp, and that's just the that's just the hand she's been dealt. But like, does she actually fully buy into all of this? Well, they've they've all kind of adopted the cause, but they're not coming to it from the same place as the people who've been with the WLF for years. And I think that's another again ripe for exploration, right? Like the perspective we have on this could be the outsider perspective. They're still soldiers doing the job, but it's not really their fight. They don't, they're not really, uh, you know, OG WLF and the feud with the Seraphites is not their feud. Um, Mm -hmm. and yet again, like the, the game doesn't really get into this. Like if there's anyone fit to comment on like, Hey, uh, what is this thing? What, what is this war we're, we're trapped in? It's the people who only joined it four years ago because they had nowhere else to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I also think it's well, like the response is to try to get out. Right. Like that's the whole thing with Owen. It's just like uh, we're well, right. Owen's whole storyline, which I which I guess we can get to, where oh. Owen starts f- seeing a seraphite as a human being, and that is that is his his downfall. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's it feels like very much they're trying to ignore the kind of ideologies of these two things and be like they're all bad and the only people, answer though. the only answer <laughs> yeah. is that individual individual people are like the salvation here is like taking yes. care of it's like it's kind of like almost centering the idea of a nuclear family like find your nuclear family take care of them and then that's all you need to do right like there's right. no other uh fucking um connection that you can make with a a larger society outside of that in this extreme world otherwise you're fucked right like (laughs) and that's why this game is so fucking conservative because ultimately Mm -hmm. like what is it concerned about Ooh, ideology that's not good people who believe things Ugh, creepy that can only turn into cult shit Ooh, yeah that's just tribalism yeah. working together as a larger unit than right. a family Ooh, a no, government that, like that to tries to um manage the outbreak and like yes like uh you know the, they're trying to put emergency measures into place to preserve some mm-hmm. semblance of society that's just fascism like you know if the government yep. tries to help they right. will fail and that will be the road to tyranny uh, and they, then they do try to give uh, one counter example in Jackson, right? Like that yes, society is okay for some reason, but, but like then it's also yeah tied in with all these. I mean, well, I I don't know. Is this the time to bring the up solution the solution? Is an eight way of nuclear families <laughs> armed to the fucking hill? Uh, that'll sort the world out. Also mm-hmm. about Jack about Jackson, and this goes a. Uh, uh, um, Robin, I, I I hope you talk about the farm, but it's like yes. the reason that Jackson works is because it's like there are no scars, right? It's like right. it's there is the no area around ideology. Jackson has been raised and the walls have been put up and there's only one group and that works out great. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like it, it, so so it's like I, I suppose that it's like as Isaac wants, right? It's like if you were to completely wipe out the Seraphites, then there wouldn't be no problem. So it's like I'm not sure that like it's like Jackson is really idyllic. It's just like. You know, no, they, they they already did their their crimes, you know. Um, so talking about Isaac real quick, I think a thing I do love about this opening, though, is. The WLF is fucked. 
Like, even though they're armed to the teeth and, like, appear to be a really strong, like, military, like, they can't walk 100 feet outside their base without getting ambushed. And then when Abby and her friends finally reach this forward operating base after she and Mel have awkwardly tried to, like, connect, but it, it doesn't go super well, uh, once they finally get to this base, like, Abby, Abby and Manny start realizing, like, who the fuck is this army? Like, none of these people have been here. Like, they're all basically recruits. Uh, mm -hmm. Which means, like, the number of good trained troops is, like, just starting to disappear. And they're all being gathered for something. But, like, nobody has any sense. What are we doing? What is our mission? What are we fighting for? Everything about the WLF just screams, like, they might have the guns, but this is a colonial army that is in like its final stages. Um, and it's and rotten. The, the yeah. mission is rotten because it's like Isaac sits in this like high up in the sky uh, apartment looking over the city, but the foundation is, are these torture chambers that you have to walk through. So it's like the endeavor is built upon crimes and pain and inhumanity, which is like a thing that I and really, I appreciated. Yeah. It was right. Like a yeah. Cool he's doing a torture when you he's doing the torture when you meet him yes. for the very first time mm -hmm. which i think important in this moment to po point out that he's one of two like named black characters that we get to know that's right <laughs> although it felt like kind of a weird <laughs> colorblind casting situation to me where yeah, i was like right like it's is like his identity going to mean anything no jeffrey wright is just a good actor not. you know uh, <laughs> like they're just trying to get in on that jeffrey wright action since he's not in yeah. west uh, not tied up in westworld as much anymore <laughs> Right. He's also third choice. I don't know if you noticed this, but it's like an interesting little thing in the history of the city where it's like there were two leaders. I think it was a brother and sister, the Petersons, and then they die. Fedra kills them. And then Isaac is sort of the last man standing in the group. And he, yeah, this is it, like he's the, the one that ends up pleading. You know. This is like the second generation of like leaders on both sides, right? Like they end up murdering yeah. the like Seraphite like prophet. I forget her exact name, but like she becomes a martyr for their cause and Lev uh, ends up mentioning throughout that like actually her readings would be against most of the actions the Seraphites are currently taking, which is, you know, just makes that parallel to Islam and the Islamic like and ISIL and ISIS like even more stark, right? Like this is the thing they're doing. They're doing it right there. Is like people who of the Islamic faith have said like, no, they don't fucking, that doesn't count. <laughs> like, like, sure. Uh, I just feel like it's so different if you're talking about a cult that's like 20 years old or, or even 40 years old, as opposed right. to like a religion that's been around for so much longer and Absolutely. has so many that's... other interpretations. Like it's trying <laughs> to land those beats with well, me. And I'm just uh -huh. like, it's a cult, man. Like it's one lady who was like <laughs> right. in a weird situation in the town once. And, it's like, a bad got cult. Real excited about gonna, it. The cult yeah. sucks. It's not even. Like, <laughs> it, I can't even believe that people are enlisting in this in this thing. Right. Like, yeah, it's too fast. It's like a fast uh, forward. It's like they're this. It's like they're building uh, like idols of her. And I'm yes. like, it's, I, it, it's been 20 years. Like, it's like I know yeah. that lady. It's like we're not we're not carving <laughs> idols of 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 Janice. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, it's like, yeah. like we just got can, here. Like I don't yeah. know. Give it a, another 50 years before you start the only, passing out you, Virgin Mary versions of, you find of Janice. A note from a WLF guard. <laughs> From like when she was in custody at a checkpoint, the checkpoint of martyrs or the fight, the gate, the martyrs gate. That's what it is. Martyrs gate. Uh, yeah. Where mm -hmm. like somebody is like, 
boy, that crazy cult lady is here. We busted her at the checkpoint. There's something to what she says. I can't. She has some sort of vibe about her. I can't put my finger on it. Makes me question everything. I'm like, great. So, like, basically she gets hauled in for, like, an extra search at a checkpoint. And then yeah. from that uh, is the new Christianity. Um, right. In, I mean, we just world. have to believe she's very charismatic. And and I, I'll try to defend the game by saying that, like, people are in an exceedingly stressful situation. So many people have died. Obviously, they're looking for hope wherever they can. I mean, these are the justifications yeah. that you would make for how a cult could emerge. And I certainly believe a cult could emerge. That's not at all what I'm questioning. What I'm questioning is the narrative yeah. structural decision to compare a cult that's been around for a few decades to a very, a very established old. religion. Yep. <laughs> I, I think like that is not the same. And trying to make that narrative leap is not going to work. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, which, which is why I think the goal is really like, it's trying to conflate more recent movements in like extremist politics and like right. saying that's also the same as the religion, which is fucked up. Why not have it be an actual religion then? But you don't want to do that because of reasons? Like, I don't know. It's like the game wants to both be very grounded in reality, but also not actually navigate reality at the same time. Like, it's created this dollhouse version of reality. And it's like, these are some structures that we made and we're going right. to remind you of it's, some real things. It thinks big that structures. if you... It thinks if you don't make the 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 argument that it is the same, that people will mm -hmm. hand wave it, which... By and large, the positive, yeah, <laughs> the positive uh, uh, reviews and stuff have kind of hand waved the the kind of very clear parallels between like inspiration and the stuff in the game. Hey everyone, you might have seen on my Twitter, but if you hadn't, we obviously did not end this very quickly. So we're splitting this podcast into two parts. So I'm going to do a quick outro right here. Thank you to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. You can find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. You can find everything we do at Waypoint on Twitter, waypoint, uh, facebook.com slash waypointvice, youtube.com slash waypointvice. Uh, you can find me at A underscore Cotto underscore appears. Rob is at Rob Zachney on Twitter. Uh, Maddie Myers, our guest, is at Mitty Myers on Twitter. Uh, Patrick Klepek at Patrick Klepek and Emmanuel Mayberg, uh, motherboard guest at, uh, I believe you can search Google for ass.bargains to find his Twitter. Uh, that's it. We will see you again on Monday for the part, the second part of The Last of Us, The Last of Us Part 2, Part 2, spoiler cast. Uh, spoiler cast Part 2. Either way, we'll catch you. We'll catch you all on the other end of the weekend. Have a good one. Peace. I'm just going to grab the water. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, we're an hour in and we, we've maybe covered mm. a second of the Yeah, game. I was like, Rob, so the pace we're going, I'm, I'm going to have to bounce around the time that we're like day one of Seattle. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Pat- <laughs> Patrick, I mean, the good news is you've jumped ahead a lot. So we think we yeah, you have. Sampling. I feel like yeah. you got your thesis out. But if you don't feel that way, feel free to interject it at any time, much it's like a, the last of us part two would have done. <laughs> <laughs> just I feel just like I played a different observations. game than y'all. So if Patrick leaves, I'm going to hop in. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Did you like it? Yeah, it has issues. It's not fucking great, but I feel like I read a lot of things differently. Um, mm. And maybe just because also I like finished it literally last night. So some things might oh, be fresher as far yeah. as like, details. But, but I, I think that I think that's what a lot of people are doing. And I guess you can right. say that's a strength is that um, parts of it are vague enough that you can insert your own reading into it. Much like the character of Master Chief. Who truly is he? That's Takes Ellie. an open world to find out. 